have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. This is a momentous night. Right? Uh, it's funny that you say that. Yeah. And this Go is on. a perfect way to start this as anything. There were two episodes of this podcast that were inevitable. I like even before it was like predetermined the yeah. destiny that these two episodes were going to happen at some point. The first one already happened. That was the episode in which I did howling new moon rising. Okay. Totally did. Yeah. It was meant to be. My brother was on that show and this one. Because of all of the motherfucking shit I've talked on, the rats are coming, the werewolves are here through my not only just this podcast, my podcast, your podcast, mm -hmm. but my entire life. Like I've exactly. built this up to such a crescendo that this is this is obviously the culmination of yeah, basically mm -hmm. 30 years. You're, you're reckoning. You're reckoning with the past. <laughs> Astro Radio Z <laughs> 130. <laughs> The reckoning. Where he's actually going to give praise to the rats are coming and the werewolves are here again. Exactly. Nice. Hear it. Yeah. No, and, Carmen. And Calm that, that fucking boner down. And what? <laughs> Guru, Guru the Mad Monk, the best film he's ever made because it's only 62 minutes long. Oh my God. <laughs> this, this might be the only thing you and I agree on all night. <laughs> well, that's the one thing because I was watching, I, I, I watched another thing and I forgot and I was rewatching it this morning. Uh, on YouTube, because it's on YouTube, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, oh, there's only 55 minutes, and like, there's some, and it ends like right at the credits." So I was like, "Oh, good, perfect." So then I checked online, it's like, "Oh, it's 60 something." I was like, "No, it can't be. It can't be over 70 minutes." No, it's 62 minutes. Like, oh God, thank God, I didn't miss anything. The best thing ever. <laughs> That's why when we were talking off air, yeah. uh, and, and listeners, we'll we'll kind of let you in on a little secret. We we've been meaning to do this episode for weeks now, and yeah. uh, life kind of prevented us from doing this. But yes. we talked off air. Guru was the first one you watched, Evan, right? Uh, no, it was Bloodthirsty or uh, the Butchers. Oh, oh that's yeah. right, Bloodthirsty Butchers. And then you were you were worried after that about yeah, yeah. what you were going to watch next. And I'm just like, because of what Vaughn just said, because of his exactly. brevity. Yeah. And yeah. like, watch and my, Guru the Mad Monk. My spirits were raised after yeah. that. <laughs> and don't I don't want to hear a single word about your thoughts about the rats are coming the werewolves are here we're leaving that to be the last movie of the episode right we got to have we got to have give people a reason to actually sit through everything we're going to talk about tonight is, is there going to be a goat episode because that's probably most of the reason why these people check the uh, podcast to begin with uh <laughs> What? Did I, say, did I say that out loud? Now that he has his own podcast, everybody's like, wait, what's this Astro Radio? What? Oh, who cares? You know, who gives a fuck? Surprise. Give yeah. us the fucking metal already. Yeah, we want we yeah. want the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of which, this is the perfect time right now for us to take a break and listen to the goat. <laughs> Corey's he he's going to now, after three episodes of Astro Radio Z, where I kind of talked him into 
bringing uh, Stillborn Goat Heavy Metal podcast back from the dead. He started doing some mini episodes for us. So if you've been back with us since we resurrected Astro Radio Z, you've heard the three mini episodes he's put together. Now he brought it back full force, full episodes of the uh, now it's retitled The Goat. So if you like the Stillborn Goat segments we've been playing here on Astro Radio Z, you can go to iTunes, you can go to Spotify, you can go to Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and look up the goat and you'll get the full episodes now with interviews with the bands and a whole bunch of extra shit. Corey's bringing it hard. The episodes are amazing. I'm so excited. It's legitimately probably my favorite podcast I listen to. Yeah. The most recent one I listened to today. It was great. Yeah. I love it. And every single time he sends me a new one, I blow him over it. Every single last time. <laughs> so I'm just like, dude, I'm so happy this is back. So here's a truncated version of an episode that he did two weeks ago with John Michael Thor. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the best movie of the night, which is Guru the Mad Monk. So uh, stick around. Oh, that parents explained to me, well, I let my teenager listen to rock music because that's all he'll listen to. Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. This is the GOAT.
comes away. And Thor is our special guest. Now, this is a truncated version of our larger episode. We had a full episode uh, that we did last week on the GOAT with Thor. So if you want to hear more, head on over uh, and check out uh, our special episode uh, with the man himself. And I actually got a chance to sit down with Thor and I asked him a little bit about uh, the new record and uh, also this tour that he's been going on coast to coast, border to border. Well, we've been out for a month and now we're, uh, th this was the last of this leg. Now we're going to have a month break and then we're going to go up and tour Eastern Canada, you know, hit Montreal, Toronto, uh, Quebec City, and, uh, in Ottawa, that kind of thing. You know, well, the label would like us to tour with more with Hammer of Justice. Now we've done quite a bit of touring, and we've been doing a lot of touring in Europe as well, in front of twenty thousand people at a time. And it's 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 you know that it's a way of life over there. Um, they have the festivals, and and uh, we we've played quite a few of the festivals, even one that we were involved with, uh, the Muscle Rock Festival in Sweden. Uh, we, we started that one in 2009 with Jacob Hector, you know, he uh, basically made a deal that they, to use my genre name, Muscle Rock, they call it Muscle Rock, and they hold it every year, it's very successful. The tour has been going absolutely amazing, I can't believe it actually, um, the enthusiasm of the fans, and most of our fans on, on this tour have been very young, like in the teens to 20s, and and, and they've discovered, you know, our music, you know, and, uh, you know, I guess it's outside the box. Usually a band will have a hit on the radio and, and you know, but, you know, in this modern uh, day, uh, you're discovered on YouTube or, uh, you know, I guess digitally on Spotify and, and iTunes. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our stuff has been in movies. Uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, for one, seems to be a transcend time I never thought it would last this long but <laughs> it's still out there in distribution so you know go figure yeah <laughs> I am admittedly and probably at times to a fault a homebody that touring keeping that schedule straight while trying to take care of yourself in any way what gives Thor the drive to go at such a high rate of speed when you're playing every night yeah, you're flying you know to Chicago and Cleveland and and then you know over to uh, uh, you know Sacramento and then Los Angeles, you know, it 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 does take a toll on you. But then when you get on the stage and the fans are screaming the songs and singing along with you, the energy level that you have it's the highest of highs you can have. There's no drug you could take that gives you that high that you get on stage. And I think that's what keeps me going. It keeps me, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, I may be what I am right now, so I don't want to just say what I am, but I, I feel like 30 years younger, seriously, than I really should feel. You know, I just feel like I got incredible energy, and it's, it's the rock music. The strength is in the music.
of Anger, new album, Hammer of Justice, is out now, and it actually comes uh, with a DVD uh, called The Return of the Thunderhawk, and that is the follow-up feature-length documentary to uh, I Am Thor, the uh, critically acclaimed uh, documentary that came out a few years ago, and you can get that over at Bandcamp, Cleopatra Records, uh, Hammer of Justice. And uh, if you want to hear more from Thor, like I said, uh, go on over and check out the episode on The Goat and subscribe over there and all that. But uh, before I send it back to the rest of the cats at Astro Radio Z, I wanted to play something off of that new Thor record, Hammer of Justice. So uh, let's do uh, Warp. 5,000. And we'll see you next time on Astro Radio Z, and we'll see you next week on The Goat. show is brought to you by Christ I can't find it the hell with it guru the mad monk Mortavia was his domain don't ever say that don't ever say that in my presence again. young girls his victims gotcha. <laughs> who was Olga what 
was her secret. Then there was the hunchback. Blood was their god. Everything's going to be all right. You have to get away from me. What's wrong? They killed me. Tell me everything that happened since I left. I like you, I like you very much. Lust was his religion. His tormented mind threatened all within the shadows of his church. Blood was their idol. Violence, their passion. Sacrifice. Butchery. Mutilation. Guru, the mad monk. to satisfy his unnatural lust for blood. Unspeakable tortures. Agonizing death. Don't miss Guru the Mad Monk. Coming soon. I don't remember all three of these films, the, the British films or just the two, the guru and Ben, I know bloody butcher. No, I believe all three of them are period pieces. No, no, no. In the UK that he, when he went to the UK, yes. guru no, actually is, guru, the mad monk was made in Staten Island. Really? I believe. Wow. wow. Cause that movie looks great. Are we back? No, we're still, could we be, we can be back. If you want to be back, Evan. If you want to be back, Evan, we are back. We're talking. Hey, hey, listeners of Astro Radio Z, this is going to be a very informal episode where we just (laughs) randomly talk and we'll cut back into this. So, uh, Evan, we are back. We are back talking about the first of three movies tonight, which is Guru the Mad Monk, made in 1970. And as Vaughn had said before, this movie is only 56 minutes long. So, Immediately, it rises to the status of the number one movie of right. the night for me. Yeah. Just on that fact alone, here is but, the plot, folks. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to. Uh, Guru we'll... the Mad Monk. On the island of Mortavia in 1480, a deranged 15th century prison colony chaplain with multiple personalities exploits his power to get money for his church, including murder grave robbing committed by his vampire mistress olga jesus christ i love her <laughs> neferatu and one-eyed hunchback assistant igor because of course we need a a fucking quasimodo in this case yes, we know yeah uh carl his jailer who robs graves for the mad priest and saves one woman prisoner, Nausea, whom is condemned to death for infanticide. Now, the movie at 56 minutes long, there's not a ton of plot 
in this thing. Most of the plot happens in the first 15 minutes, and yep. then the movie just kind of coasts along. Evan, as a first watch with Guru the Mad Monk, what did you think of this? Well, this one gave me hope as I was watching these because I, I had first watched the uh, the Blood uh, Butchers, the Bloodthirsty Butchers. And uh, this one, as Vaughn had said, one of its strengths is its brevity. And I also noticed during it that I thought that the filmmaking was actually better than what we'd seen before. Right. I, I thought that the, that there was scenes that, that had multiple camera angles and uh, they were actually engaging due to that. Like the, uh, the trial scenes in the church, mm -hmm. um, there was different, there was a bunch of different angles and stuff. There was definitely effort put into it. So I was impressed with that. And uh, yeah, it's concise. It's intelligible. The story, <laughs> you, you, you don't get lost in it. In fact, one of the uh, one of the things that I was wondering uh, if you had looked up, Derek, is whether this story is a traditional story. I do not believe so. That's surprising to me. Just due to due, due to the, the the butchers movie, I, I I actually thought that he had lifted this from some other story, just because it was so, I don't know, in, like I said, intelligible. Uh, well, from what I I researched and found out, the only thing that was kind of lifted or inspired from something else is the title alone was inspired by Hammer's Rasputin the Mad Monk. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this is funny that you should say that you feel this is the most concise and that this is one of his most accomplished movies because Mr. Milligan himself professed to this being his worst movie that he had ever made. What? What? <laughs> oh, that's great. Multiple times he is quoted as saying he thinks Guru the Mad Monk is the worst movie he ever made. What the fuck? Really? <laughs> <laughs> which is shocking to me seeing how tonight we're going to be talking about two far worse movies after this <laughs> that this this film which i totally agree with evan on this it's concise it the brevity helps it so much because it yeah. just moves the plot along oh yeah and it's, it's actually interesting like the characters are decent and which is surprising because the movie which was shot at saint peter's episcopal church in manhattan okay literally looks like it was shot in three rooms in the side and the side of one building yes and it was so that makes sense uh but the thing is i think the fact that he he's by this time he's kind of the people like Neil Flanagan, who plays Guru, who's been in a couple of his films, and then he'll be in Fleshpot when we get to that film. Um, he's kind of made. He's kind of. I think he understands what and what what uh, what Andy wants and Andy needs in this film. So he's like, "All right, I'm just going to do what I'm told, and I and I, and I can get it done." He and he plays that character great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is that all the actors seem to know how to act. That's the, even even the woman who plays Naja, even though she's like, you know, I don't know. She gets like six lines. It's mostly yeah. her screaming half the time, um, getting dragged around everywhere. It's like, all right, bring her in, like drag her in. We're gonna try to cut her. We're gonna feed her poison. No, drag her away. It's like okay, um, and she didn't get branded in the face like everybody else, which is just lovely. Like, what's your, what's your crime? Oh, you looked at someone else. Okay, here, let me take this hot scolding thing, burn you <laughs> in the face with it, and put it down. You go, you're done. Like, what the fuck? And the thing is, they couldn't make this guy any more weirder because there's like one scene where he's arguing with himself in the mirror. 
Yes. Oh, I love that oh, scene. It's, oh, it's fucking it's a great scene. It's just you could tell that this guy's like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I'm I'll play this to the hilt, and then Andy might cut half of this. But whatever, we'll just I'll just go crazy and he, mm-hmm. he doesn't care. This is you know, him arguing with his alternate alter persona. Eagle. Yeah, yeah, it was great. That was I'm like I'm watching this on the TV downstairs this morning. I'm like, oh my god, I forgot about this. This is this is look look at look at him. He should have got an Oscar for this. Look at this fucking <laughs> like just blowing it out like on the rooftops, screaming from the rooftops. This whole scene is like, oh. And the guy who plays the, our love interest, yeah, he's passable. That's a good thing about it. the whole. All the people who have actually lines in the film are passable. They don't feel you know, and it feels like he actually maybe actually wrote this story out on like other films where he was just like writing shit on napkins the night before. Or they just improvised the entire thing. Or yeah, he's like, all right, here's my idea. And they said, okay, go. Well, like, well, these three films seem like he actually read the, wrote the script because you have this, you have the adaption of, of uh, Sweeney Todd with the next film. And then, you know, his adaption of, uh, well, whatever it's, it's an adaption of something. Uh, (laughs) It's one of the greatest werewolf films ever made. Um, Don't blow your load yet. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to be <laughs> sleeping. I think by the time we get to the last film, uh, but I, I, I like yeah the fact that it's it's short. It's you know it's only sixty minutes, so it's like oh this is so. Well, by the time it ended, I was expecting. I was like, wait, there's not another ten minutes of people just standing around doing nothing or arguing with each other in a kitchen for an hour. No. Well, I have oh, okay. a theory about about why it's yeah. short like there's a there's a plot point so when Nadja is um in jail and we have our protagonist who's in love with her right um he's bargaining with the uh the mad monk not knowing that he's the mad monk but he's mm-hmm. bargaining with how to save her life and the mad monk comes up with this plot to basically poison her so that she will appear dead and she'll be thrown yeah. on the whatever the pile the funeral pyre and uh, revived with an antidote later. And honestly, I think when they went through that, when the Mad Monk was explaining that to the to the dude, he said he was she was going to be buried, and mm-hmm. then they would they would dig her up within ten minutes. And I I almost think that our missing twenty minutes is that. <laughs> because they completely skipped the whole thing. That's all done and over with in a cut. Yeah, it's it's possible, but there's also multiple sequence where at first we have our our lead that is you know trying to save his love in the prison and each subsequent person he goes to to figure this whole scheme and plot out has such a ridiculous set of rules and requests (laughs) they need in order to make this happen like he goes he goes to guru and guru wants him to dig up bodies for research for somebody and then but in order to do that he has to go to his trusted uh cohort olga who we end up Mm -hmm. finding out in a a toss away scene out of nowhere that she's actually a vampire yeah i I thought of her as a blood witch that's what that's why at first that's what Uh, i thought it was she was like a bathory person like she was just somebody that used blood because then when he goes to her to get the poison he's like she said, well, if you get me bodies and drain them of the blood, then I'll give you this. And so it just kept stacking and stacking and stacking all these requests. And then uh-huh. once he finally gets the girl, that whole plot of the movie, it's gone. Like Nadja yeah. and the lead are basically gone. And the rest of the movie is Olga and Guru just killing people yeah. after the 25 minute mark of this movie. And right. I, I feel that it was just like he, he probably had those two actors for a day. 
and then didn't realize it. And then when he was trying to call them back to come back, Hey, can you, are you guys free for like, you know, can you guys come back and do it? And they're like, uh, no, we got other jobs. Shit. I got to fucking figure something out. I just completely, it was like, Oh, we, we actually, we, we all lined it up nicely because there could have been 25 minutes of them sitting in a field, picking flowers and shit. Like in the last, in the last week's film, um, where they're just randomly sitting in there talking to each other. Uh, and that could have been, you know, the whole made this film a nice 90 minutes of just them walking in the grounds and fluttering through fields and talking about how much they love each other. And, you know, no sex at all because, you know, that's kind of what happens. Uh, and no incest. No, that, yeah. was, that was great. Yeah, that was great. Even though, you know, who knows? They could have they could have seriously put back and said, hey, uh, you know, the, the humpback was secretly a guru's brother or something, sister or cousin, what the fuck. I'm surprised they didn't. I mean, we got the incest angle. It was gone away with with some weird vampire angle. Yeah. Like that but came out of fucking. I like there. the I like the restraint of this. I don't know because what did he make? Like four films this in, in 1970 when this film came out, mm-hmm. and he actually transitioned to Euro, the the London midway through this because the Nightbirds came out this year. This year, the Body Beneath came out this year. So who knows what his like schedule is to actually get films made. Because, you know, like, you know, to Body Beneath and, and Nightbirds will get to them at some point. But I, I think they're oh, for me, they're at the top of like stuff that I like about his. Oh, work. I agree with you on that one. Um, but this one's also like right there, like because of it. So because sh- of its shortness, maybe he shot things and then realized when he got it, when he got the stuff done, that maybe he got screwed up in the in processing. And he's like, all right, I got to figure something out. Because most of the time, most of his films come together in the edit. Yeah. Like he probably he probably shoots all this crap and goes, hmm. And then puts it together like, you know, like a child throwing shit against the wall. It's like, all right, this looks good. This looks good. Okay, I don't care. Whatever. We'll cut this. And maybe things got screwed up. Or maybe he just was like, he had so little time that this the producer that's only produced this film didn't did nothing else. At least what IMDb says. Um, it could be underneath a moniker that's never been, you know, figured out. Um, but like maybe he just didn't have enough time to really like do the kind of full-on film that he would do with normal 75 minute film uh and bore the tear tears out of us oh i have a feeling one explanation as to why this might be short right. and the budget was only eleven thousand mm-hmm. dollars this f- film was shot in 35 unlike right. a lot of the other films which 16. were shot in 16 millimeter yeah that's the other thing. It looks good. That's why the dark scenes when you watch it, even watch the VHS cut that I watched on you on YouTube, the dark scenes actually don't look that bad. Like the whole scene where he's prosecuting people and he's like, all right, you did a, you, you, you had theft. I'll cut both your hands off. You know, like, oh, I'm going to burn him in the face. Uh, you looked at a pigeon. All right, burn you in the face. It's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like random shit. And they're just like, and it's actually, you know, He's doing it in natural light. He's, he's, you know, no lights on the set, just the lights that are in the room. Some candles uh, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, which is great. You know, it's it's always so great when it's completely a pitch black room and you only have candles to light the fucking... <laughs> I, I was wondering how they got that church. Yeah, like he, oh, he probably just, they probably were just like, oh, wh- how much? Oh, well, yes, you can rent that out. Sure, sure, sure. We don't do anything from Monday to Saturday night. Sure, you can have it the whole week. And we won't put incest in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> I think it was a grift. I think the only way he probably. got this was some weird grift. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so as you guys had said, this movie has a lot of similar traits as to other Andy Milligan movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some random schlub gets his hands cut off. 
We have a two. Quasimodo. Both his hands could help. Not just one. Not just one. Normal. He has two hands now. He actually could afford two this time. The $11,000 <laughs> gave him two hands, which is great. You know? uh, we have the typical gaudy outfits. Okay. With the outfits this time, they were a lot better than uh, what the fuck movie was it that we were talking about last Torture week? Dungeon. Torture Dungeon. They, you know, they actually look like he actually went to a prop. He actually either knew somebody who worked at a prop house that he can get the costumes from because he didn't look like he made them like he made these ones or maybe he just got better and got better fabric and was like oh i can actually sew this better this time because they don't look it doesn't look shitty it doesn't look cheap and actually it looks like you know even though the the people are it's supposed to be a period piece but they're clearly speaking in like typical normal english of the time uh and you can see like scooters in window reflections. Yes. I'm aware that the outdoor scenes, I was I was I was amazed I didn't see anybody walk past in like normal garb because they were like in a place where normal people just walk it past. They just see people dressed in garb like, oh that's that's peculiar. Like there's a guy with a handheld camera on my on his shoulder while two people dressed in like I don't know, like fairy tale garb running around a, a church. <laughs> there were so many instances of watching all of the exterior scenes of this movie. It was clear this was not filmed or they didn't even care that this wasn't even period specific or like yeah, yeah. accurate in any way, shape or no. form. Yeah, definitely. He's like, oh, this looks old enough. Fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> so, so yes, we have the gaudy outfits. We have the overtly dramatic omnipresent score over the entire thing oh yeah i liked i liked the score for this time usually the score doesn't match but the score actually matched with this film it was actually kind of like you know like when that score starts at the beginning when they have the book open and it's yep it's clearly it's clear somebody put that whole thing together and then it cuts to ripped pages that they actually had somebody actually pr- produced yeah i noticed and that I was too like, i was like oh look and the music actually works and it's not like it's yeah, it's not like circus music of the whole fucking thing, which I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Yeah. Because most of the most of the time with these films, the music doesn't match at all. It doesn't work. He just goes, OK, this sounds good to me and puts it in. And it's it completely ruins some scenes with this film. At least it was like, oh, you know, when you have those guru and the uh, witch attacking everybody at the end of the film, it's like, oh, this works. This actually isn't bad. And people are getting stabbed to death. It's like, oh, OK, I can deal with this. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 I noticed another trope in this, uh mm-hmm. a Milligan trope, which is that he he telescopes all of his murders of random strangers by having the murderer ask them, Does anybody know that you're here? Oh yes. <laughs> yes. He does that in every movie. <laughs> Just, it would be funny if he delivers that line and then looks both ways. <laughs> Yeah. See the look around. <laughs> there's, there's a scene where there's some. For, well, the thing is, like the plot, the, this this church is supposed to exist on some island, like right. the, where there is yeah, nothing you know, else, you know, colony or something. And, yeah. and for some reason, you know, some beautiful woman comes into the church. I can't remember. She was in some trouble and needed yeah, to they, either confess or just have a a, a bite to eat or something. And, <laughs> and the blood witch comes up to her and and makes like, sure. Oh. That Nobody knows that she's here. <laughs> yeah. Are you a day early? Good. Stab, stab, stab. It's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole inclusion, I keep bringing this up, the, of yeah. the vampire angle just no. comes out of absolute nowhere it, halfway no through this movie. Sense. It just feels like something he had to, like, he had to make that character something else, you know, and like, he just couldn't have a crazy monk running around killing people and causing torture and stuff like that and being crazy. He had to have another wacko on the island who would be like, oh, good, we'll have like a, a team up at the end of the film. Yeah, that works. Uh-huh. Right. I actually liked it. <laughs> no, it's I, I like it too, but it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't, 
it doesn't work. It doesn't really work because the cat, the title of the film is guru, the man monk. So, you know, it's, it's going to be some kind of weird priest that's going to be killing people. So when he puts that angle out, Oh, by the way, there's going to be this like blood, witch running around wanting to help out. And like, she had, you had, they, they had to get the poison from her. Right. Am, am right. I misdirected? And she like has, as her thing for getting the poison was that the guy had to get his hand cut. And then she, she sprays the blood off and puts an X on a little piece of paper that she shoves in her pocket. Like, it's like, Oh, uh. and he's like, all right, now you can't, now you can't fuck with me. It's like, what? What? Okay. Uh huh. And he's like, that was, that hurt. It's like, no, it didn't dude. Come on. She didn't stab you or anything. It's just, it's just, it's just you know, carol syrup on your fingers, a paint on your hand. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that scene between him and her, uh, when he first had to go get the yeah. poison from her or whatever, mm-hmm. even though, even if this had been, well, as you said, shot in 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. they do that close up that he established way back in vapors, which yeah. is that you, you have one character in the foreground sideways, and then you have the other character in the back. Yeah, straight on. He does that in every movie too. I've noticed. And the one thing is that he he seems to not. I don't know. Like you know, most directors when they're doing this stuff, they kind of learn from their mistakes. Yeah. He doesn't. He seems to kind of just he <laughs> make seems new to, ones. No, no, not even like <laughs> he, seems to, he seems to take the mistakes that he's that he's had in the other films. He goes. Well, no one's complaining to me about it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep Let's doing keep it. He picks a couple mistakes that nobody's complained about and runs with them. But I do think that I've seen some development. Like, like another I mean, trope. like his, the accents get better. Oh, well, I, think, well, I think in general, the entire acting of the truth. I think the actors get better, yeah. Is much better in this movie. Uh, another thing that I, I I always notice in all these films is that if it's person to person shots, it's their heads at the bottom of the picture, and then whatever the hell else is in the background of the picture, even if there's nothing else in the room, it's like 400 degrees of of blank space and these two little heads on the bottom of the screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and which like, will come up later when we talk about the rats are coming, the werewolves are here yes. for sure. But the opposite is true of the next movie we'll talk about with bloodthirsty butchers, where he, he's so close oh, that you don't even see anything. You can't tell what the hell's going on in these shots. I don't, I, I don't know what the hell is that. Why the hell? Like he went from like everybody saying you're too far said okay i'll get i'll get better at it and then the next film he's like i'm gonna be right in your face like practically like sitting on top of your shoulders and he's and, so close that he's focusing on like foreheads and chins yeah it's like oh <laughs> uh, god mother of god <laughs> it's so fucking stupid anyways so getting bad. back to guru the mad monk the yeah. f- most of the plot is right in the front end the first 25 minutes as we had yeah. said and then most of the gore that the eye gouging the decapitations the mm-hmm. extended branding scenes the vampirism and all the rest of this shit yeah. happens after a point where the cardinal or the the church decides to come alleviate him from his post because he's they found out that he is uh, he's working with a vampire. Yeah. So they bring somebody out there to alleviate them from their posts. And then the bloodshed and the carnage starts because Guru's not going to have it. But eventually they take him out at the very end and our heroes escape from the madhouse. So uh, to wrap this up a little bit, I have to say of the three movies we're going to talk about tonight easily guru the mad monk is the best of them it has a plot that doesn't breathe in ways where you'll be checking your phone the entire time and not miss a single fucking thing it's got good gore 
Uh, Neil Flanagan, as Vaughn had said, brings it. Almost every movie he's in, he's arguably the best best part of those movies. Right. But since he's the the main guy in the film and everybody else is kind of around him, he just shines through this film because he's just he's just causing havoc the whole time and he's just playing it to the hilt and it's just, it's it's fun that way I, I think it's it's like like when he has uh what's her face in the other films where she's playing either the igor or freaking the angry sister like she's the best character she's the best actor in the film so he knows how to kind of sit right on top of her mm-hmm. when her scenes come up and this one he's all his scenes are just like you know he's in every scene so it's like all right and even the scenes he's not in are so short that you're like you don't forget that this character is in there and right. like in a lot of his other films, you kind of forget that there's 45 characters in the film. (laughs) Yeah. Nadia Nadia gave it her best though. uh, When she was up against the wall, giving her monologue about getting arrested for the burying her rape baby. Yeah. (laughs) There's the quote of the night. Yeah, this has all the typical weird tangential shit that Milligan's known for up to this point through what we've seen. Um, So if you're into that and you want to watch one where you don't have to devote a ton of time to easily, I'd recommend this one of the three tonight. This is the best one for me. Is it a great movie? No, no, no. It is. So, oh, my gosh. This is if what we're talking you, about Milligan watch to see this. Well, I'm period. Talk, if I'm talking Milligan in like top 10, it's top 10. It might be my 10th, but it's probably top 10. To be okay. Honest. I'll agree with because, you there. Because of, its, because of its shortness, because that it's such a linear story. There's not 18. There's not, there's not moments in the film where he just sits there and just fucking like, you're like, you just hit, start hitting the fast forward button. Cause you're like, there's nothing going on. Like, come on, get to the freaking point already. Right. And that's where it's like, okay, I, you know, and, and Neil Flanagan just kicks it out of the park with this film, you know, everybody else I can deal with. And I, and the thing is, every, there's just such a small crew of people. There isn't like three sisters with their husbands, the angry friggin' other sister with the, with the maids, a guy, Neil Flanagan dressed up as an old dude, an old lawyer for some strange reason. Yes. He was the lawyer in a, what the fuck is it called? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the title. But yeah, and it's just like, where the fuck? Come on, get to it. It's the next film we're going to talk about, which is a film that I've watched three times so far. And I watched twice for this show. And both times I had to fast forward through because I'm like, oh, just needless talking, needless talking, needless talking. It's like, uh, and it, well, wait till we get to bloodthirsty yeah. butchers and we rarely get into it because, yeah. oh boy. But Guru the Mad Monk, uh, Evan, what'd you walk away with? Well, like I said, this is the, I think this is the example of this period. I hope that there's an end to this period, but uh, (laughs) this kind of period piece period, and uh, it's easy to watch and, you know, it has a story and uh, you can see him for, you know, basically his skills, what he can do, maybe the best that he can do. And he's constrained by the number of characters and actors that he has to deal with and the number of locations. I feel like maybe that's part of why it's so short. You know, he just feels like he had less material to work with or something. I don't know why he thinks he has to drone on and on, but I don't know this, this one, I think, like I said, is concise. It's, uh, it's good. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think in general, his movies would have been much better had they had taken the HGL approach where they were roughly around an hour 
Yeah. And but that I think some of them and we'll we'll get to this later when we talk about the rats are coming. The werewolves are here. Producer pressure to keep these at, you know, the marketable 90 minute length Uh. ruined some of these movies. (laughs) Absolutely ruins some of these movies. So Vaughn, final thoughts on Guru. Obviously, you feel this is a top 10 Milligan movie. Yes. Top 10. Some people should have got awards for this film. Seriously. But no, you know, you don't give out awards to Z grade crap. So <laughs> Vaughn, it's gonna be peak peak facetiousness tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for Guru the Mad Monk, folks. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, get ready. Um, don't go get a a shave with a straight razor. Because we're gonna be talking about Bloodthirsty Butchers from 1970, (laughs) Andy Milligan's remake of Sweeney Todd. So stick around. I wrote the song for my mom. She is the coolest biker bitch I know. She likes to shop and go to church. She tell me everything she think I should know. She love my boys. She buy them toys. She make us dinner every time we go to visit her and the dog right before she go to Mexico. She's getting older every day. And one of these days she'll pass away. Well, I know that she won't live forever. It's how I keep us together. I'll wrap her up with love. She'll be my mummified mom. I learned the ways of the Egyptians My mommy did raise a dummy Put her together with safety pins And when she died, she'd go to heaven Be with the angels cause she just like them It made me sad, cause when I die I go to Hades, never see her again Well at least I know for a little while She'll be wrapped up in my tent with a smile I know that she won't live forever Here's how I'll keep us together I'll wrap her She'll be my mummified mom Every summer I come by with my brother We get high and we swim in her pool But I know that this won't last So I'll wrap her in my cast And you know that she'll look cool All
are listening to Astro Radio Z. Call your local cable company to order your WCW merchandise. A purview. Somebody get the gun! Promotional consideration paid for by the following. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to That Wrestling Gimmick on the Astro Radio Z Network. I'm Dustin Fache, and today we have Ryan in the studio who will be keeping us in the loop as our current events analyst, and will be covering all things AEW. Uh, Ryan. Hey, man, it's great to be here on the Astro Radio Z Network. As you know, uh, I am not at a loss of things to say when it comes to pro wrestling. That is very true. <laughs> and there's plenty to be talked about when it comes to all elite wrestling. It is definitely the buzzword in wrestling right now. So I'm hearing that they have quite a stacked lineup. Could you uh, let us in on uh, some of that? Absolutely, yeah, they, and they really do. First off, you'd be remiss not to mention... Chris Jericho first. The big high dollar signing, if you will. At the beginning of the year, their rally they did in Jacksonville, which is where they're based out of. Um, they had Jericho come out right at the end with a big expensive pyro display. It was, it was a great way to kick things off. If I am not mistaken, this is also one of Jericho's most lucrative contracts that he's ever signed. Yeah, that's what's been reported uh, as of late. It sounds like with the freedom that he has between being able to take other gigs, whether it's New Japan doing Fozzie when he wants and being able to do this uh, rock and wrestling rager at sea, his cruise that he likes, he, he's actually worked out a deal that's been better than any of his WWE contracts, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Right, and I mean, talk about a guy that, I mean... With doing Fozzie, being on the road full-time, I mean, when does this guy get time to sit on his couch? No doubt. It doesn't seem like he ever gets time to. I think he said it best. He's a, he's a maverick. We're going to move on. Um, we're going to talk uh, the, the business part of this whole AEW thing. Um, can you kind of fill me in as to what's going on there? Uh, there's this Tony Khan guy. Um, can you give me a little background uh, there? Yeah, so Tony Khan uh, and his father, well, firstly, I guess his father, Shahid Khan, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Khan, is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL. He, I guess, started in, in the United States as a, an auto parts mogul, uh, one of the largest auto parts suppliers in the Midwest. Okay, yeah, so he owns the Jaguars. That's why you've been seeing on the... Uh on the social media posts, the yep. uh, every everything that has to do with the Jaguars. Yep, and their shirts having the Jaguars colors and whatnot. Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, so, and we're gonna move on. And uh, is this true that Cody Rhodes has a thing, has a little stake in uh, executive? So, Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega are all executive vice presidents in addition. In addition to their on-air. I guess, duties, you would say. They're putting the boys up in the spots to... This is basically a for-us-by-us kind of situation. It's really starting to feel that way, and it's it's a great thing to see that it's being backed by by big money, which, which will mean big production and hopefully a really cool alternative to WWE. So we're really on the cusp of something really special here uh, in the world of professional wrestling. Man, I sure as hell think so. Um, I think... The opportunity is there, and I think the market is there, because those those fans from the Monday Night Wars era, Dustin, they they had to have gone somewhere, right? So right. you don't just lose five million people a week, and and those people don't just 
all of a sudden start to hate wrestling. They're out there somewhere, so go get them. This brings me to the next thought that the WWE has been lagging a lot in not only in viewership. Uh, I've, I've noticed that ratings have been down subsequently. Uh, do you think that in light of all of this going on, do you think it's going to make Vince reach for the stars and really try to bring some new characters out of his hat? What do you think is going to happen on that end? I think so. WWE is in, in an interesting spot, too, because they came, they just came off of their um, most lucrative year they've ever had amidst having some of the absolute lowest ratings they've ever had and live show attendance they've ever had, which is an absolutely crazy dynamic when you think about it. You, you're already starting to see the effect AEW is having on WWE uh, with Vince and company trying to snap up as many indie talents as they can before all elite wrestling can snap them up okay yeah and going back to the attitude here talent uh billy gunn also plays a role uh is he a creative or what what is his kind of role in this whole thing so billy gunn is actually going to be a producer so road dog is the lead producer in charge of smackdown so everything is filtered through road dog who goes to get basically Vince McMahon's final approval on what happens on their SmackDown program. It's going to kind of be the same thing, to my understanding, in All Elite Wrestling. Um, Things are going to be gone through the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, and Omega as a group with Billy Gunn. To really filter out the programming and... Make sure they have a product going that's that everybody's on board with. And then of course, Tony Khan is going to be in the Vince McMahon role. He's the, he's the money guy. And he's frankly, from the interviews I've heard, he's got an awesome mind for the business. Yeah. Yeah. Lifelong. So that brings us to double or nothing. Uh, pretty stacked match card. I see. Uh, could you elaborate on that for us a bit? Yeah, definitely. So all elite wrestling is bringing double or nothing to the MGM grand garden arena on May 25th of this year. Um, I assume it's probably going to be on Fight Network pay-per-view with how fast it's sold out. But the match card has filled out pretty good already. So Hangman Adam Page, which is one of the elite, obviously, uh, is going to be taking on a man making his return to U.S. soil uh, in big match wrestling, now known as Pac, formerly known as Neville from WWE. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah, he does the 450 and all all kinds of crazy he's incredible uh, i actually saw him perform a walk yeah the, the guy is absolutely amazing um the things he can do in a ring are mind-boggling so definitely right absolutely and hangman adam page is going to be money for all elite wrestling in the future definitely watch his rise so other matches obviously jericho versus kenny omega uh, we have the Young Bucks versus Pentagon and Phoenix. If you have not seen these guys, man, go out of your way to watch them. They are absolutely spectacular. Two of the two of the greatest tag teams in the world, bar none, right now. Uh, some women's wrestling. Uh, we're gonna have Dr. Britt Baker versus Nyla Rose versus Kylie Ray in a triple threat match. So that one should be pretty good, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I've only ever seen uh, Britt Baker. I've never watched Nyla Rose or Kylie Ray. Uh, I've heard they're pretty good, though. You have Cody Rhodes versus his mystery opponent, which this one I'm, I'm really interested to see. I mean, you never know if they'll announce the mystery opponent ahead of time or if they 
will make you wait all the way until the show. I mean, they've already sold it out, so they, they don't really have to show their card. It's been a while since they used the uh, mystery, uh, since I've heard the, the mystery opponent kind of gimmick thrown around, too, so that's kind of cool to hear. Certainly it's been a while since it's been done really effectively, that's for sure. Uh, next match that I have on my list here is SoCal Uncensored versus two members of the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment Company out of China, one of their partner companies that they're partnering with, with which these guys from the trailer I've seen and the clips I've seen, they are phenomenal and something totally different, which is exactly what this company needs is totally different. Um, and it's two of those guys plus Japanese wrestler Shima. So should be a great match. SoCal Uncensored is absolutely awesome. They are hilarious. Uh, if you haven't seen them, check out Being the Elite on YouTube. It is, it's an excellent little show. And that brings us to partnerships uh, that the AEW has. Uh, there's some few unique ones. Uh, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, unique is definitely the word for it, too. Um, OWE from China, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. These guys are like a Bruce Lee movie come to life in the middle of the ring. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see how this all pans out. And how it all mixes with the international talent that, that AEW is bringing in. It really does bring a, a international flair. It's a real springboard. I mean, as far as they're bringing, they're bringing talent from, from Mexico, from China, from Japan, and they're really bringing it into this U.S. market. I, I really think that's, that's definitely a cool thing, and I'm really excited for Absolutely, it. yeah. And touching on... The Mexico part, they're partnering with AAA from Mexico. So really could be some interesting things coming out of that. Um, AAA shares talent with Impact Wrestling, MLW, Lucha Underground, which they're kind of in flux right now. So there's some talent that may or may not show up. It adds a little bit more intrigue, and I'm pretty sure that... Um, it's a really interesting time to be a wrestling fan right now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, oh, it is an awesome time to be a wrestling fan. And I, I'm just really excited to have a, a true alternative. And that brings us to our segue. Uh, you're actually going to be a bit of a roaming correspondent uh, here for this, for the event double or nothing. Uh, is that true? Yes. I was one of the uh, lucky few to actually get a pair of tickets for the show. Um, very, very excited to be going down there and Filling you guys in on the excitement and the uh, electricity in the air. I'm sure it's going to be just uh, an incredible time. Um, gonna gonna get to Starcast for at least one of the days. Hopefully, kind of bring you guys in on some of that. Yeah, see what Conrad Thompson has to offer, huh? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's going to be a great time. Um, and we can't wait to get you on the show and uh, tell us what uh, what went down. Uh, we're going to get you as soon as we can. We might even get you in as a call-in from, from the event. Is that correct? Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'd be happy and privileged to be able to call in and let you guys in on the action, so to speak. So uh, listen for that and can't wait to be back on the program for sure. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to be here. Well, thank you for being a part of that wrestling gimmick. I'm Dustin Fish, and we'll talk to you next time. Because that's what we want. We want rematches because this time, when we play the tune, it'll be loud and clear.
In the future, mankind's leisure time will be threatened. It is a world poisoned with big budget marketing ploys, name brand product placement, and video game tie-ins. The planet needs a hero, but to save the world, he's going to need help to climb to the top. Sometimes you have to reach for the bottom. Earth's mightiest podcasting heroes unite. Astro Radio Z, all the gimmicks. The Night Keep, Film Jerks, Special Mark Productions, Tub of Terror, Limited Engagement Mockbuster Event of the Summer. Four weeks, four movies. A force to be reckoned with. The Bottom Rack, Mockbuster Summer. Earth Defense Force. Coming to a podcast near you. Rated R. The bloodthirsty butchers were mild-mannered people who couldn't stand blood or violence. See the butchers make love. See them at play. The butchers were usually quite careful in their work. But not always. Be careful of the hair. There was a hank of hair found in one of the last pies. Mustn't get careless, Tobias. We have work to do. There are fun surprises for all the family. Watching the passion of the lovers made the butcher yellow with curiosity. Yellow with curiosity? Good day to you, Mr. Busker. Good day. I want a pie. Your usual? Yes. Joanna, would you get me a cup of tea? It's going to cost you a little more. Why? You know very well why. Uh, how much more? Two shillings. That's highway robbery. Not when you consider the source. Do I get the part I want? Don't you always? Yes, yes. If you like the color red, then you'll love the bloodthirsty butchers. These are just a few of the lighter moments from the bloodthirsty butchers. See the whole bloody mess here soon at this theater. I might actually be I might actually be on the same fence with you guys with this film. This film bored the shit out of me, but we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. Um, I still Vaughn, think it's the grand, yeah. What? Hi. Yeah, would fine. you like to tell the listeners what the plot of Bloodthirsty Butchers is? All right, I can I can tell you. I can tell you exactly what I wrote on a letterbox. It's a homeschooled ver- homeschool kid version of the Sweeney Barber's Fleet Street. Uh, Sweeney Todd, the the Barber's Fleet Street. It's it's boring. Um, 
it's it's that's what it is. It's 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 straight up just like a weird adaption of of the Barber of Seville. Um, and there's so much silliness going on. And I think the reason why I think this is one of the UK films is because the same guy who was in who was this head actor in Nightbirds is actually in this film was one of the more I guess the tougher guy the toughs in this film. Um, he makes he makes a lot of fart faces. Uh, if you know what I mean. You know, he <laughs> looks like he's always sniffing a fart every time he uh, comes into his team. <laughs> so the film, the film pretty much starts off with like, I don't know if this is my version or not. We just see a woman kind of strolling through the streets and then it cuts yeah. to the barber's, uh, the front of the barber's shop. Um, a young man is talking about how he's come here from Ireland to kind of, even though he has no fucking Irish accent um, to get his, his, uh, to make his wealth. And the barber's like, well, does anybody know you're here? He's like, well, no, I live down the street in a boarding house. Again. And he's like, and yeah. And he's like, well, he's like, that ring looks really nice. I mean, if you start getting destitute, you can always sell it to me. He's like, no, I have to keep it. It's a, it's a, it's an heirloom for my family. And then the barber goes and slits his throat and cuts his hand off. Uh, it steals the, steals the, uh, the good old, uh, ring from him. And that's where it goes. You, and I wish the film had, I wish he had the balls to put like a, and like a, a piano, like an organ in there was a dun, 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 because, <laughs> It would have worked so well, but no, like I said, in this film, unlike the last film, the music is so like, and then it, it, it goes into, we get introduced to the, to, to the pie shop upstairs and they're selling pies and, and they're also really catty assholes. We get, re, we, we get to, we get introduced to like a, like a brothel type whorehouse where for some reason, Sweeney Todd has a, has a woman in there. He's trying to run away with, um, and it's just, it's a lot of and like just, talking and just like for the film we're a film where it's like what i think it's 75 minutes or something like that almost 80 minutes yeah i was clearly fast forwarding through a lot of the talking scenes because they they just didn't go anywhere like i know what the whole story about like you know what you know sweeney todd the whole that whole story is it's about how he, he would kill his friggin his customers and give and grind up the meat to give to the meat pie woman upstairs so she can make better money blah 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 and this film there's a lot of just plotting and is, is there a whole tit in the original Sweeney Todd story? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. But yes, there, there, there's a lot of people beating each other up and there's a lot of arguments between, between couples. And, you know, you have the good woman who's, who's hanging out with, an, with a tough little man. Uh, like I said, he constantly looks like he's farting. Someone's farted in his face. Cause he always kind of like, <laughs> his nose is always scrunched up and he's like, Hmm, I'm supposed to be angry. I'm like, no, you, you clearly look like you're smelling something you don't want to smell. I like that angle. I like this angle that the character, the reason why he's so pissed all the time is all he smells is farts constantly. <laughs> London is just full of farts. Well, back then it was just probably yeah, pissing shit on the streets and oh, stuff like that. Yeah, right, right. I think the reason why a lot of like the talking of w what you're kind of saying is the reason yeah. why it's so boring and doesn't work is we are introduced to so many characters many that serve no purpose whatsoever. Yeah, yeah really. No. What's what's that whole angle between Anna, the performer, yeah, and the theater? No point. Manager? There's no, no point to that no whatsoever. Point to it. It's like a whole other set with other the whole other drama going on over there. It, it's like he it's like he saw the play uh, he saw he saw the, you know the Barbara Seville and said I need to add more to this. I was like no no you don't you could have just done it straight. I mean it would have been bizarre as hell for him to do a straight version of a film without actually adding his own kind of oddness to it. Mm. So that's why it's like all right we need to have this melodrama in here. No you don't stop doing it. 
didn't people don't didn't your producers tell you like no more melodrama? Didn't you realize like no stop doing no stop stop stop? No, I'm gonna keep adding. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add more people. I have I only need six people for this film, but I'm gonna add fifteen people for this <laughs> film because why the hell not? And I'll give everybody I'll give everybody lines and everybody competently does their work, which is great. You know, everybody's having you know doing their job, yeah. but clearly it feels like they're doing their job for a, a guy who's like. Just get on with it. Like, it's like, really? Like, what do you think we're trying to do here? Yeah, like, nothing is finessed. The characters are just brought in, given whole scenes to set yeah, them up, and then they're killed off the next scene. Yeah. So it's like, why did we just spend 15 minutes with this person that really didn't mean right. anything? And What's he clearly it? he clearly tries to keep the whole Barbara Seville, the meat pie thing where there's a woman who comes in and she finds a big hair in her fucking pie at one point or <laughs> a lack of hair. She was such uh, yeah. a snotty asshole. But like, no, but she found like, yeah, like pretty much somebody like cut like a big cube of someone's skull in there freaking in the pie and she's like, I want my money back. It's like, um, well, can we give you another one? I don't want another one. That was gross. Just give me another one. And it's like, oh, is this supposed to be about the guy downstairs? Oh, no, no. It's like, come on. By 19, what, 70 when this film came out or whatever now? Um, you everybody knew what this the story was about it's not like a shocker anymore mm-hmm. um so it's just like he, he he seems to be like i said he seems to be playing he made this with a bunch of like homeschool children for a bunch of homeschool children like you know <laughs> you know like yeah, a, he, give, he gives it away right in the beginning what yeah. the story is like a, spoiler like, alert sweeney todd like first, when you, first yes. word you see when you see it on the when you see it when you yeah. see it, it looks like somebody painted it on on the on the window of the of the thing, but not a professional guy. It looks like somebody who had just a, the the steadiest of hand to paint that onto the onto the glass. Yeah. He's like, I can't do it. Can you do it? Can you can go get the Can that he do it? Can you do this? Okay, okay. And they had the guy paint it on, like pretty much, like as if uh, it's just like, what the fuck, really? And you know, they probably were, they probably didn't pay. They probably had to get somebody to scrape that off, like as soon as they were done, because they probably were like, oh, we're this is an empty building. Fuck, just do it. Let's go. Let's get in there. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the, he, he, oh man, the, the <laughs> amount of effort he puts into stuff like that, like the original story of Sweeney Todd, I, 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 uh, read about on Wikipedia, it was called string of pearls right. and the, uh, you know, the titular string of pearls in this movie is the most plastic looking string of pearls <laughs> so you could come up with. Yeah. Like why yeah, this was so even bad. included? There's no <laughs> fucking reason. This movie really feels like it was cobbled together on any spare time. He would like it felt like he was filming in the middle of filming other movies, yeah, and then right. just put scenes together. He probably was. Yeah. What did he add to this tradition? Lots well, of the- lots of threesomes and, and love triangles. Yeah. So everyone's fucking everyone. Yeah. in this movie it makes it's and, like uh-huh and spitting in each other's faces yeah that's i thought i liked i i thought that was funny because <laughs> it's just like out of nowhere it's people and you know because everybody's screaming at each other most oh, of the time in these scenes so shrill probably, it's like seeds again where everyone's pro- so shrill but but there's a thing with i liked seeds i thought seeds was a fun time too, this film i clearly was like I started watching the first argument that happened. And I was like, all right, this, I know this is a trope. This is going to happen. But like the fourth one, I was like, all right, just fast forward. Cause it makes no, like it, it doesn't push the plot. It doesn't add into the plot. It's just these people arguing with each other. No reason for no fucking like, because one feels like they're slighted by the other and that's it because they know. Cause that one person knows that they're sleeping with someone else. And yeah. they're like, 
but it's like we had this argument already with two other couples. Yeah. Why, why, why couldn't you, we know that they're all sleeping with each other? So like you don't have to keep forcing it and kicking it into our face. Like, take it. Just take this. I'm going to, I don't have anything else to do today. Oh, it's like, <laughs> fuck. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. Sweeney Todd is budget Peter Cushing in this movie. <laughs> I I, th- I like the guy who played the char- that character. Though. He was the best was actor fun. in this movie. Yeah, he was fun. Easily, but, but it, it feels like a, it feels like Andy was told the whole story of Sweeney Todd by like like you know when you play telephone, you know yeah. you the first person has the story and as you get closer closer closer. So he was probably told the story by the third or fourth person who heard the story of Sweeney Todd. He's like, oh, that sounds great, and he just wrote down the three four things that he knew about it, and he's like, I can add an old story, and he wrote sixty five pages. I'm like, you know, oh, I have typical, I have, I have an, look, I have this other friggin' screenplay I didn't finish. Let me just add parts of that into this. It's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> I've never heard a better explanation of what this movie is like than that. It's exactly that. Yeah. It's so cockamamie. It's so disjointed. Mm-hmm. Evan, while we were, you know, previewing this and getting ready for this episode, you were really adamant about how boring this movie was to you. So talk to me, bloodthirsty butchers. You're watching it. What's going through your head? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching these movies. Of course, we're going to talk about them. So I'm constantly pausing and writing down notes. And at some point I was like, wait a second, do I need to write any of this down? This story is established. (laughs) Like, is it a, is it just a spoiler to say that it's a Sweeney Todd story? I mean, the only things notable, like we said, are some of the off the wall things yeah. that don't add to the story at all, like yeah. a drag queen and a whole yeah. tit to a yeah. pie. The whole tit pie. That was the best part. It's the it's the pinnacle of this movie. Yes, <laughs> that's the best. And the fight and the fights in the back room of the bro- of the, the the brothels like strips strips club whatever the fuck they are the strip that yeah the playhouse where we are to be- we are led to believe the realism of this whole sequence is predicated on sound effects oh off in the background where we're yeah. we hear crowds cheering that for some sort of act that's going on off that screen freaking player piano went for like 10 minutes it's a loop it's the it, same loop it sounds like a a saloon from uh from like the gold rush days <laughs> and then just constant and then people cheer just just a whole crowd cheering i i noticed that too it was like are, really is it really that entertaining <laughs> like, well people are screaming at each other in the background yeah yeah and, oh. Anna, and Anna just she spits right in that guy's mouth. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> All the people in this movie are the absolute fucking worst people. You got to sit with them, listen to them talk, as Vaughn has said, forever. Um, the actors stomp all over each other's lines. They don't allow anyone to actually get a decent performance out other than the guy who plays Sweeney Todd, which I do agree. He's probably the best person in this movie. We're supposed to believe all these people are romantically entangled, yet they mash their faces together like they don't want to be even close to each other. Oh, yeah. There's nothing. There's things that don't even remotely approximate kissing <laughs> kissing is so hard for milligan it's yeah. so hard in these movies <laughs> yeah um and it's, it's that typical kind of screwy like you know when you think of like gay kind of aspects is like you know homosexual heterosexual sexuality is like a, a plague you know we should try to destroy it so when they see two straight people kissing it's like oh you know what i mean 
That's what this feels like with him. It's just like he, he always was like, Ugh, no, yeah, I can't, I can't, I gotta put, I'll keep camera on the shoulder, but I can't look at you. Just do it. Nah, don't tell me. Don't show me. Ah, uh, no, nah. you know, Conspiracy. yeah, he's completely like, Oh, no, uh, no, my wife's obvious. With, there's my, my so wife many- with me, yeah, my wife's with me today, but I don't want to, no, I don't want to see that. No, 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 <laughs> tell me what's going on. It's yeah. so obvious how much contempt he has for heteronormative culture. Yeah. And awesome. I've read so many instances of people calling this movie very hate fueled. Like it's very, a very angry nihilistic view of heteronormative uh, culture. There's one scene yeah. that really is the epitome of this. Now I'll set this scene up for you boys. And I'll kind of, I have to read through it struck me square in the nuts so hard that I'm like, okay, I'm writing every piece of dialogue down <laughs> All right. for this scene. Okay, there's a scene where Sweeney Todd has this one person in his barber chair, and the boy is about to get married. This is where he gets the pearls from, and he's sitting them down, and the, the boy's all worried about, you know, getting married, and is he going to be good for his future bride and all this, and Sweeney Todd gives him a lesson on women which I firmly believe is Milligan speaking through Sweeney Todd. So Sweeney Todd says this, the, the, the lesson in the rules you should have for your woman are as follows. The first day you're married, don't let her have her way. Say no and do it your way. Point two, train her for a few months. Tell her you love her at least twice a day. Uh... Number three, Women work in cycles, three-day cycles, to be a, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Women can't stand being happy longer than this. It drives them wild. So at the end of three days, when she's really happy, do something to upset her before she gets upset naturally, because it's the natural <laughs> order of things. Then forgive them, screw them, and tell them you love them, and then watch out for the next three days. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm you like, know that oh, could God. be from the 1850s, <laughs> or coming from this was originally written. <laughs> this is how this is how Andy Milligan feels about women. <laughs> yeah, I was so slack, John, when I heard this. I mean, seriously, what did you boys think of this scene? It obviously is like other than the titty pie is the standout (laughs) scene of this because nothing else like even remotely seeped its way into my memory. The movie's so forgettable. None of the dialogue sticks because none of the characters matter except this one scene. It's obvious he is grandstanding and he has a point to make here. Right, right. You're exactly right. It, it is a it's a it's a worked out philosophy of somebody's. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Somebody, somebody, somebody definitely was like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just it's so insane. And the thing is, when you read that out, it clearly sounds like someone who either either has read too many books on the art of trying to keep a woman, or you know, like those kind of a uh, pickup artists they have nowadays, you know, those yeah. people who are like, you know, online, they'll, you pay me 50 bucks and I'll show you how to get any woman you can, even if you're the ugliest looking motherfucker in the world. Um, and it's like, that's, or, or it's just somebody who's so like, does not like just, oh, it's, I don't fucking know. It's just like, but it is, it's very memorable. That whole scene is just like, okay, where'd that come from? Because like, I thought I was getting Sweeney Todd here. Where the, what, what, what huh? You know? And like the whole opening scene, I like the opening scene of the film. 
you know, the whole introduction where you're like, oh, here goes the, here goes five tropes in a row. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a guy's alone. He's going to lose his hand. And like you were saying before, that's when it's like when you see the woman running through the streets and it cut, and there's that hard cut to the front window. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Did he run out of, did he just have five seconds of that woman running through? Like it doesn't even, she doesn't even run past the window. No, it's just like, it's like a, like a car crash of a cut to the window. It's like, okay. And then we go inside and we have, yeah, like you were saying, everybody, like, like if you're, if you actually get to see the video of this, my microphone is like a dick right in my face. That's what all the camera shots in this film are. Oh, they're so like, close. Right on the top of each other. You have like, no sense of geography. No, it's no. so horribly shot. And it doesn't help that some of it was processed so horribly that sometimes it's the color yeah. of the processing rendered it peach due to the yeah. overexposure. <laughs> I love that. In like, oh, pale blue, green, and others. Oh, I li- the thing is, I like it when he tries to do that in other films, you know, because of his ter- because of the terrible costuming and whatnot, and it doesn't come off right. With this one, it feels like he has the right costuming, and because he's overexposed things pro- improperly, it looks off. <laughs> Everything oh, looks so like bad. like it, it looks cheaper than it should be. You know what I mean? What you What you guys think of uh, uh, the opening scene when you hear a person? impersonating a dog barking. Oh, yes, that was one yes. of his best parts. <laughs> That's like, obvious. Clearly obvious. It's a, somebody off screen going bark. Yeah, exactly. That's why I knew what I was in for. Yeah, it's probably him. It's probably just, it's probably him too. Like he's probably just standing behind the, like just screaming up behind the camera. Oh my God. I mean, audio in general again, which is the norm of this era yeah. of Milligan. The score is completely overbearing and omnipresent. It's there yeah. the entire time. The audio is horribly garbled. But I, I'd like, I like the scenes when we're at the club and because it actually is, you know, edited well with the sound. It doesn't that, that whole, with the, the people in the background actually clapping the whoever, some kind of phantom person <laughs> while we have these arguments going on. It's like, Hey, this actually was shot. This was actually edited. Probably the, the crowd doesn't sound like they're sitting right next to them as they're clapping throughout this whole scene. It actually sounds like they're in another room. I was like, Oh, great. But then the, the music slowly starts to creep in like, 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 you know, like a two ton truck. It's just like, uh, and then it takes over the whole damn scroll room. And you're like, wait, what am I listening to? What, what's going on? They're arguing still. What the fuck? Okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah. This it's, film to me feels rushed. Like yeah. this was an afterthought. He had other movies he was working on. This could be wrong, but the way you, when you watch this movie, it feels like a movie that was made in pieces yeah. in between other things. It's so just it a was, fucking garbled yeah, mess. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a real tone deaf joke. Right. That it ends with too about kid oh. and pie. Oh yeah. No, you know, the, the, uh, two, the two lovers, they're, they're heading to America and they say, why don't we, pick up a kidney pie to go or something like that. And they look at each other like it's the end of a sitcom episode. Yeah. Yeah. You hear the slap bass all of a sudden hit. (laughs) (laughs) But like, like the two other films that came out at this period were body beneath and Nightbirds, Right. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about those films, you can see that in those films, even though body beneath is still the kind of typical kind of screw loose horror movies that he was writing. Um, but you can definitely tell that he had a lot. He was more interested in that film and Nightbirds compared to this film. It feels like he might have had a deal. We had to make three films, mm-hmm. and this was the last film that, he, or the film that he had to work on in the between least. those two other films. Yeah, this is the one where he just didn't give a shit about. 
Yeah, he had the least amount. It feels like a rushed film. Yeah, it It really does. It feels like he, yeah, he had something going. He he had the other two films, and he wanted to work on those, but he had to fill this contract. You know, like like Neil Young's contract, like some real artist who had a contract to fulfill and did a bad (laughs) album just to fulfill a contract. Who's making a contract with Andy Milligan? Uh, That's what I'm saying. Like either he had a very limited time in in the UK because I think after. 1970 he goes back to new goes back yes. to new york so he only had like half a year to work in 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 uk and i don't know what happened there i'd love to find out if he was just like kicked out of the uk for like oh wait look at the crap you're making no get out goodbye, goodbye. Well, i think goodbye. the investors uh dried up because the two movies that uh, this movie and the next movie we're talking about were filmed back to back okay so i think he had a space he had somewhere to go he had an investor that was um, you know, part of this, which is would explain some of the things we'll talk about with the next movie. Um, but it's obvious of the three movies, which we'll talk about the next episode, we'll talk about The Body Beneath, which is easily the best of the three movies he made in England. Um, this yeah. is the most rushed of the three, and I would say literally in the bottom three of Andy Milligan's films. Mm-hmm. So it, makes, it, it, ma- it makes sense that he didn't write it. Right. Yeah. It's a story that already existed. So, yeah, that even melds with that theory. <laughs> God, holy fuck. This was this movie was literal torture to watch. <laughs> it was. It is so fucking hard to watch this movie. This in Torture Dungeon easily at the bottom, at the bottom. of the barrel here. Evan, when all is said and done, final thoughts on uh, the Bloodthirsty Butchers. Fucking boring. <laughs> Skip it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Vaughn. Yeah, I, 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 this is probably next to the weirdo, probably one of my least favorites of his films because it's so, it is boring. It is very boring. It starts out promising because it's like, ooh, you know, because you get bad cutting and you get his typical hand cutting off stuff, and it's like, oh, okay. But after that, it just, it just goes straight to the dump. And it's just, it's, it's like, come on. Like I, I'd be pissed if I had to see this in a theater, like as a, on a two for like on a grindhouse theater in New York, like waiting for something to happen. And it's like, all right, I'm just going to go home with my raincoat and jerk off in my bathroom. Yeah. Like, oh. No, this is, this is the movie of the, the triple feature at the grindhouse where you sleep. Yeah. You sleep next to the dude that's jerking off in the trench coat next to you. You <laughs> yeah. sleep during Bloodthirsty Butchers and, and you wait for the Kung Fu movie after. Yeah. yeah I'm thinking right. about like the status of a movie like this at the time. Like, is this just like one rung above a freaking like uh nudie cutie loop or something? Like this is <laughs> like nobody expects anything more than something that's going to be, you know, rotting in the basement after it plays for a week. Yeah. It's yeah. literally a movie that filled a space. It filled <laughs> yeah. up time where they didn't have anything else to play. Yeah. No shit. No shit. I can't imagine anybody walked away from this going, oh, bloodthirsty butchers. Holy shit. That was great. <laughs> Set yeah. the town on fire. So uh, let's walk away from this movie and never speak of it again. <laughs> bloodthirsty butchers. Total pile of shit. Folks, we're going to take a break. And we, when we come back, get ready. <laughs> it's the moment that Astro Radio Z and fans of Astro Radio Z have been waiting for the entire run of this podcast. <laughs> you got a preview of it on Motion Picture Massacre. Yeah, yeah, you did. A couple episodes back. But we're going to go full bore into The Rats Are Coming 
the werewolves are here. And to say that I'm excited to see where Vaughn and Evan lie on this film can't be understated. I know where Vaughn's coming from on this. Yeah, I know. You do better now. <laughs> but Evan, he's the wild card. So let's take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, get ready to hear me talk about literally hands down one of the worst movies ever created on the face of the planet in the history of the planet in mm-hmm. of cinema. The rats are coming. The werewolves are here. So stick around. Line here again with another episode of Squib Central for you. Coming at you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where it's quite rainy and cold today, despite it being quite nearly June uh, in the year 2019. So, a um, little surprised by that. But nevertheless, um, the weather doesn't stop me from watching and reviewing terrible movies. So, here we are. Um, so, I wanted to uh, sort of get into this next film um, by uh, sort of prefacing that this is my second episode of Squib Central. And so I'm doing a sequel, which is the second part of a film series. And as far as I know, the last one from what I can recall. But uh, in any event, the point I'm trying to get at is the number two, because this particular sequel is a piece of number two, uh, albeit an enjoyable one on some levels. But um, the film I wanted to talk about today is called American Shaolin, Colon, King of the Kickboxers 2, which is a sequel somehow to the original King of the Kickboxers. Now, let me just preface, the original King of the Kickboxers is a fucking fantastic martial arts action film. Uh, it has Billy Blanks in it, and I, I can't say enough good about Billy Blanks. The guy is insane and terrifying, and um, he does a great job as a bad guy essentially and a good guy when he's been uh, you know a good guy in movies which has come up a few times he's um the good guy in a movie called showdown which i believe was made in 1994 which is a fantastic karate kid ripoff you should check that out if you haven't seen that and uh, he made a couple of movies uh or at least one movie with roddy piper um i'm pretty sure back in action was one of them and uh that thing is fantastic you should definitely see that but nevertheless uh king of the kickboxers and billy blanks are awesome uh king of the kickboxers 2 uh goes on a little bit of a different sort of tangent um and uh (laughs) let's see what can i say about this film well there's no real recognizable folks the most recognizable person in this is daniel day kim who you probably recognize from the Lost TV series. He played the character Jin on that show. Um, I believe he was also in the Hawaii Five-0 series on TV, which I think just ended, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't actually watch the show, but um, I believe he was on there. So anyways, 
the title of this film again, American Shaolin, King of the Kickboxers 2. Um, so basically what happens in this movie, um, the main the main guy in this film, whose name is Reese Madigan, um, and that's the actor's real name, his name in the movie is Drew, but uh, he's been on some, some television shows. I don't think he's did, did any of their movies besides this one, though. And long story short, um, he... Uh, is trying to be a fighter somehow, and he's uh, or he's like the sparring partner for some some other huge bully who's like the main bully of the movie. And uh, <laughs> when he's fighting this particular uh, guy, I guess during some kind of sparring session, this main bully hilariously pulls his pants down and then kicks his ass as a finishing move, <laughs> which is incredible. I mean, he literally pulls his pants down in the ring, um, which is awesome. So uh, Drew is obviously quite despondent because everybody makes fun of him and so forth. So he decides that he's not going to take this line down. He he wants to actually train and learn how to fight. So he goes to China um, and eventually gets his way to the Shaolin Temple, where he asks to become a monk to, to train. He wants to. He literally wants to train to be a monk in the Shaolin fucking temple in China to get revenge on this guy who pulled his pants down during their sparring session, uh, or it's like an exhibition match or something. I don't know. And uh, shockingly, the, the Shaolin monks uh, don't want to let him in at first because I'm sure they see right through this fucking American idiot. Uh, and so he decides, after meeting some uh, girl from the town, um, who, you know, who tells him that, uh, a previous monk had gotten into the temple previously by just sitting out in front of the temple for a bunch of time. I think it was even some years and they finally let him in. So Drew, this American butthole decides to do that himself, which is unbelievable. Um, so eventually, eventually somehow after sitting for a long, long time, the monks let him into the temple uh, along with a whole bunch of other new recruits that they're going to train. Um, one of those recruits being Daniel Day Kim, uh, as I mentioned. So basically they get put through this boot camp at the Shaolin Temple. And it's it's grueling. It's them having to dig ditches, dig new latrines, clean the place top to bottom. It's all kinds of stuff. And this leads me to one of the most lame moments of the film that gets repeated, unfortunately, way too much. Um, so they took the song Summertime Blues and changed the lyrics somehow to Shaolin Temple Blues. Um, and they sing the song multiple times throughout the film. There's even some like uh, music video type segments where uh, Drew and uh, I guess I'll just call him Jin because I didn't remember his name from the movie, but Drew and Jin basically just uh, are like dancing around and like they're using fucking like staffs and like... Uh, room handles his air guitars and they're like you know jumping around and doing like you know crazy moves like you know music video style while this terrible Shaolin Temple blues song is playing and they're like singing along to it it's just it's so embarrassing I, I can't even begin to explain so anyways um the training montage happens and it shows Drew and Jin trying to train and get better at being they finally decided to get them past like the, the hey you don't have to clean latrines really anymore you're gonna actually start training um, and then somehow this, this, you know, monk sees that, uh, Drew is not doing well. He's not learning very quickly at all. So he decides to give him private lessons and, uh, you know, so that's helping him. Jin and Drew amazingly don't get along. Um, they end up getting into some sort of fight and they, and, uh, they break a statue and the headmaster of the Shaolin temple is pretty angry, but decides to give him a second chance. 
Um, so at some point or another, uh, Drew and Jin and the other kids who are in training at the Shaolin Temple uh, are given kind of a day pass and go to the nearby town. Uh, they get attacked while they're in town there. Um, and it turns out that their main trainer, um, you know, the guy who's training them at the Shaolin Temple, decides he's going to actually, like, you know, fight back. Because, you know, I think, the, I think and I don't know this really well, but apparently the thing with Shaolin monks is they almost never fight back. They use their martial arts only for defense and, like, life or death situations. But this guy decides he's going to actually fight back. Um, so he kicks the shit out of these fucking kids who are trying to hurt Jin and Drew, basically. Um, and then the girl who first showed Drew where the Shaolin Temple was shows up again and invites him to a party. So they're uh, actually going to leave the Shaolin Temple uh, during off time, which is which is forbidden. So, um, but they decide to do it. And also hanging out with girls is apparently strictly forbidden as well. So, nevertheless, uh, Drew and Jin and the other kids agree to go to this party. Um, and at the dance at this party, if you can believe it, they're playing the summertime blues, aka Shaolin Temple. Temple Blues song again, which is unfucking believable. It's it's just so horrible. I can't even describe. Um, so of course, there's more kids that are not stoked on uh, you know Drew and Jin and and the Shaolin monks there. So of course, you know some other assholes basically at this party. So of course, a fight breaks out. The police are called, um, and basically uh, the police come and take these kids back to the Shaolin temple and the headmaster of the temple is pretty much ready to kick Drew out and kick, um, you know, kick him off fucking out of the temple and <laughs> try to kick him out of China basically. So Drew gets all packed up and he says, you know, he's about ready to leave in the morning cause he's getting kicked out. And then the other monks, including Jin decide to stand with him in solidarity and say, no, we don't want him kicked out. So the Shaolin, uh, the master, the headmaster comes out and uh, changes, you know, changes his mind and convinces Drew to stay and like actually train for real. I don't even think he knows why Drew is there to train yet. And also the the headmaster decides to tell him that the legend um, that I mentioned earlier about the the monk who just sat outside the front of the, you know, of the Shaolin Temple basically until they let him in. It turns out that that was the headmaster guy that wasn't a legend. So he was the one that did that. So, so this this headmaster guy basically identifies with Drew is what it comes down to. So now there's another training montage and I, I couldn't even believe it, but <laughs> they do a Muzak version of the Shaolin Temple Blues song. And uh, I, <laughs> it's hard for me to describe how terrible the song is, um, but it, it, it's a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, rendition and, and a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, cover that gets shoehorned in with some lyrics that, you know, or vaguely about the movie. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, so then they, for some reason, have a football game at the Shaolin Temple, which makes no fucking sense because it's American football. And, and mind you, this is the Shaolin Temple in China. Pretty sure they don't play football there. Just having to think. So Drew then was given a task to deliver a sacred scroll to the most advanced monk who lives out in the middle of the mountains somewhere. So uh, And he's like on his way to you know deliver the scroll to him. It's one of his final tests. He drops the scroll in the water while saving some guy who's apparently out in the middle of nowhere as well who's uh, about to fall off a bridge. Um, so he goes to the – so he, he drops the scroll. He saves this guy. But then he goes to the monk that he's supposed to see. And it turns out that, that was supposed to happen, and he was supposed to save the guy and choose the choose saving the guy over the scroll. Uh, so saving you know choose saving the guy over saving the scroll. So that was the test. He ends up passing it. He goes back to the Shaolin Temple. Now the final test, he has to get through this chamber, 
and this chamber basically has like insane looking animatronic or like supernatural wood statues that he has to fight. They're like basically these statues that are like punching and kicking him out of nowhere. And it's unbelievable. So looks insane. Looks hilarious. He actually makes it through and becomes a Shaolin monk. The Shaolin master reveals, um, that, you know, he wants Drew to go with him to an international exhibition in Shanghai, which again, seems weird because I don't think Shaolin monks participate in exhibitions or do anything like, you know, where they show off their skills like that. That's just not normally them. But anyways, um, so then that girl from the beginning that showed Drew the Shaolin temple was happens to be on the train that's taking them to Shanghai and Drew actually kisses her, which is funny because he's such a wiener. I couldn't believe he actually would be able to kiss a girl. So they get to the exhibition and um, the, the bully the bully dickhead that pulled Drew's pants down in the beginning is there, <laughs> which is awesome. And of course, he's like totally an asshole. He's fucking hilarious. He's basically like the equivalent of like, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Barnes from Karate Kid Part 3, Level of Insanity. So Jin has to fight this bully. Actually, he's the first one that has to fight him, and he gets his ass kicked. In the beginning, Dickhead decides he wants to fight Drew, who I might mention right now uh, has his head shaved and looks like a, a white, you know, a white American dude trying to be a Shaolin monk, which is pretty hilarious. So Drew at first was trying to refuse to fight this guy, which makes no sense because the entire reason he went to the Shaolin temple in the first place was to train and become good enough to kick this guy's ass. But eventually the Shaolin monk headmaster guy tells him he has to fight him. So the fight is hilarious. And amazingly, somehow Drew wins, which makes no sense because this other guy's huge. I mean, this other guy's like gigantic. He barely looks like he's even near Drew's age. And Drew looks like just like a skinny dude who, you know, probably, you know, needs to eat about 50 pounds of worth of hamburgers to gain some weight because he just he looks like a little wimp. Anyways, so amazingly, he wins. And then the the dickhead whose ass he kicked kicks, uh, reaches his hand out as if he wants help getting up. And then unbelievably, the guy tries to pants Drew again, tries to pull his pants down again. It's fucking unbelievable. So then Drew gets pissed and kicks his ass for real this time, like even worse. And, you know, it's a typical ending. Everybody's happy. He wins, you know, the whole nine yards. And then unbelievably, uh, the ending credits are the fucking Shaolin Temple Blues song. I, I, I just couldn't even believe it. It was fucking unreal, unbelievable. Um, so um, th- that made me cringe. I mean, the whole thing is cringy. But um, what can I say anyways? Uh, you know, to sort of sum this up, um, you know, it, it's always interesting watching sequels, especially for underground movies, because sometimes these these companies and these filmmakers, they get it right the first time. And even if it's not a big budget movie, they somehow pull enough charm and enough of a story and everything together to make it, you know, palatable, make it work. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really cool when you see that, you know, when that happens with, with certain movies. Like, for example, King of the Kickboxers, you know, the, the first one totally works. It's violent. It's crazy. It's really scary. Well done. Great, you know, choreography, the whole nine yards. I have no idea on this fucking green earth why anyone would have green-lighted a sequel to that movie because this sequel was fucking ridiculous. I mean, it was it was funny, I guess, but it was cheesy as fuck. You know, this is pretty late in the game as far as, like, uh, martial arts action flicks goes. It, you know, obviously nothing offers nothing new to the genre. Um, it's good for a few laughs, but that cringy fucking Shaolin Temple blues song is in it you know, 
way too much. And by way too much, I mean at all because <laughs> it's fucking horrible. Um, you know, it's it's paced kind of shitty. It takes forever for, you know, it to get to the part where Drew is actually taking it seriously and like training. You know, it seems like the build up to that just just went on half an hour or 45 minutes too long. Um you know, and it doesn't really make much sense, you know, as, as a movie as a whole. Um, is it is it worth watching? I'm going to have to say no. I think you could skip this. I think now that you've listened, if, you're, if you've listened to this fire in this podcast episode, you pretty much have the gist of the movie. There are way better things you could do with your time, way better films, much more worthy of your time in the genre. So I'd say skip the hell out of this. Um, if you want to go on YouTube and, and listen once to the Shaolin Temple Blues song and laugh, that's probably all you need. <laughs> uh, you know, go watch anything else. You want know go watch Super Fights. Super Fights is the only uh, martial arts film you need to watch this week. You know, do that. All right. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, I will definitely be coming back with another, another episode in the relative near future. And, um, you know, I'm going to probably be keeping up with the martial arts theme for a while. So you'll be hearing from me again soon. All right. Thanks again, everyone. Later. Astro Radio Z. Come in, damn it. You're sure a punctual bastard. Hey there, smut lovers. Balls deep in a dirty little addiction to movies where werewolves kidnap and rape women for Dracula? Or perhaps you're a kinky pink freak who loves to watch mad men and women tie up and punish unsuspecting suckers pouring hot wax on their aching naked flesh and driving them around the living room like pretty little ponies? Wait, 
I know. You love nothing more than a sweet, topless self-flagellation session before the cross following oral indiscretions with a saucy, satanic sister, you secret nunsploitation fan. We cordially invite your sinful self to join our shameless selves for the podcast at Orgy Castle. Exercise all that salty deviance from your system with hosts Paula and Derek as they pick one smutty film a week to indulge in and discuss. The podcast at Orgy Castle is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you can find podcasts. Go. Subscribe. Come as many times as you want. Nobody will know but you and your headphones. Take someone you can hold tight. The rats are coming. I can change myself at will. They haven't eaten yet, you know. What are you talking about? The rats. They haven't eaten since I got the film. And I should think they would be very hungry by now. They eat almost man-eating killer rats are back. More gruesome, more terrifying than ever before. But they are not alone. The werewolves are here too. Evil, depraved, blood-sucking werewolves that will scare the pants right off you. You must take her to see. The rats are coming. The werewolves are here. Uh, you're, you're playing it. You're, you're really putting on thick for this fucking movie. You gotta. You gotta. It's it's theatricality. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's funny that you know I can't even claim that this is the worst movie ever created anymore because uh, oh. L.A. Zombie said, "Hold my beer." And, and shut the hell up. That movie's such a pile of fucking shit. I loved how you're trying to troll me with some fucking Bruce LaBruce bullshit earlier this week. That was a great one. I, I was looking for that on your pretty Plex. hard when I saw that. I wanted to I see that on Plex today, but it's not on your Plex. Oh, I deleted it. He probably burned it as soon as he could. deleted it. The moment no. we got done watching it, uh, Paul and I are in the chat, and I was just like, hey, dude, I'm deleting this off the Plex. And she's like, I do not blame you. Oh, man. Oh, what's wrong with you? I actually watched a documentary on him. Uh, what's it called? The Advocate of Fagdom. Oh, so it's wonderful. Whoa. Yeah, well, it's like because it like I you don't find you find out all this stuff like like that like Toronto like because Canada up until a couple years ago was like really like you you couldn't be gay like they just started actually kind of like being cool with that and like Toronto in like the nineties when he started coming out and started doing stuff was really like being gay was like the new punk in Toronto which I think is hilarious um, so like he did all this shit like in the nineties and the early eighties. Um, before he started making movies where it was just like really pushing everybody's buttons about that stuff. And then he started making films and it's like, Oh, awesome. And like the stuff he makes now, like the most, the most crazy thing he's ever made. Yes. Yeah, LA zombie. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's so like, it takes all the crap he does and like makes it into a hardcore porno. So it's like, it's too arty for the porn crowd, but it's too porn for the art crowd. Well, that's what I, after hearing the, episode on yeah. uh, orgy castle and right. how gross that movie freaking sounded oh, it's, it's then gross. the picture that you showed and where he looked like christopher walken all oh, yeah. like in yeah. like that photo and i was like i gotta see with, this movie like the what the two, hell with, 
with the little two ring that says obscenity across. Yeah, I saw yeah. that and I cringed so fucking hard at that picture. Yeah. I'm like, holy fuck, this is so fucking. It's and he's terrible. not even. He's not even that like heart. He's not even at heart. Like not even that bad. Like he he pushes all this stuff of like being the bad boy of like art house movies, he's and it's not. like he's you know he's actually a really good guy. It's just like he like and the thing is, I posted that same picture and that same quote on my Instagram. And I have never been like liked and followed by either one, a bunch of sex toy companies from Berlin, yes. which was like, yeah, yep. fuck? Wow. okay, sure. It's a good like, experiment. <laughs> and, a good, and a bunch of like, like pro, like, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, pro homosexuality, like in, of other, of, of other European countries. Cause like he, now he works in Germany. So like, like he's like, it's very kind of pro to kind of push that stuff. Cause those countries are still like, very like, you're gay. You're going to get, you know, in trouble. Um, so a lot, of, I'm like, what? I'm like, all of a sudden I went from like a couple of likes to about like 12 follows of like all these different companies and all these different associations. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't Whatever. know. Yeah. Like, great. I like the guy. He's cool. But it's like, you know, I, and then I put it and then I, I posted and I was like, you know what? I need to post this on, uh, all the gimmicks just to kind of see if, yeah. if uh, Derek's you know, like, like, I gotta fuck like, with Derek. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I gotta see if he takes this. Like, and like the comment is great because we're talking about this madman, uh, another gay icon in, in a weird way who was a king of, you know, uh, bad acting. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can, I get where Bruce is coming from because I'm watching all these Andy Milligan films and I can totally get behind the bad acting in them because sometimes it's just, it's the best part of the film. The, the acting is best. What's well, all best that there is to really hinge upon? Well, yeah, and the screenwriter, the screenplay, the screenplays are terrible. Uh, but the writing, the acting on these, where they're just like, yeah, we're just going to go for it, and they just go for it, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. And I don't know, I was just like, I, I truly, I was like, oh yeah, I want to see if Andy, if 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 uh, Derek well, or Paula, and I, I know you're the one who freaking comments on it. I'm like, oh, typical freaking Evans sitting up, sitting up, going, hmm, I want to yeah, see it now. I want to build it. this. Let's build this up now. Okay. So listeners of Astro Radio Z, if you want to hear, really hear my thoughts on LA zombie, go over to my other podcast, the podcast at Orgy Castle, where we covered it. We, we went through it. We watched it. Evan, this is for you right now here. You listen to the podcast, obviously, but it's, as I said on that show, it's not the sex that bothered me about the movie. It's about the fact that it's a, it's a, yes, I'm a hundred percent positive on this. It is, it is the fact that it is, there's no plot. There's no plot to the no, movie. There's no plot. There's nothing. It's it, it's it's just a stroke flick. So if yeah. you want to you want to see, you know, it, dudes it, fuck covered it, in blood. Well, yeah. And there it, you yeah. go. But when but I it, go, go to watch a movie and it, that's all that it is, it's just like this is in. And then he does a cut where there's no sex in it. What the fuck is that? No, cut? no, no, no. What the, can be in that already, movie? The already cut just cuts the sex down. It doesn't. It, there's actually scenes of sex. But it's not like I've seen both versions of the film. I actually, okay, so I want to hear this. What is I actually won? I won the co- the un- the rated copy of it. Like when it came out, because like I was like, oh, the movie's out, and then I saw a bunch of like a friends of mine who know him, fr- who like him, were like, look, they're giving away this film. So I was like, put it away, and I was the only one. I was the only one who entered. I'm the only one who won the damn DVD because no one else was like, no, no, I'm not touching it. And then I got to see the hardcore version, and like the hard the the R rated version is only ninety minutes, right? I thought it was 90. only like sixty minutes. It's like, well, okay, it's around maybe 75, 80, something like that. But it's like the the other version you saw was what? Close to what? Two hours. Two and a half oh. hours or something like that. So, yeah. So he cuts it down. But as he gets closer to the end, especially like when he, 
when he finds the bum and he's dragging him across LA, the LA river into the, uh, into the pit, you know, mm-hmm. into that like bum encampment that was up there. <laughs> you mean when he drags him onto a dirty mattress off to the oh. side and proceeds and that, to just fuck him for 15 and minutes. The whole, and the whole scene with the three guys and the leather straps and all that stuff, the three leather guys, <laughs> the dudes that all looked so bored. Like they'd rather that, be that, playing Parcheesi somewhere that else. Scene's completely exiled from the R rated version. So like the scene where he finds the guy dead on the street and he starts to fuck him in the chest to bring him back to life. <laughs> you got to put this back on the plex. See? Pop no, it it's gone. It's deleted off my computer. It's yeah, gone. He, he don't want his he don't want his kids to be playing freaking Minecraft on it and be like, "Oh look, a zombie." I will never see it. That one. Yeah. No, you are not missing a single thing, Evan. No, if you really want go watch it. I, the, I, the great the greatest thing about it is that you would see that he spent the money on because Francisca Sagat is a, is a French porn star um, and he's a very beautiful looking man. Um, and throughout the film, he transforms from like just a guy dressed in blue paint to like his face gets more deformed and more fucked up. Like he starts getting like teeth that go through his, uh, his upper mouth and into his nose. So he's got this really weird looking face appliance by the end of it. And so you have this gangbang between him and three leather guys, right? If I remember correctly. And it's just it's bizarre because he looks so fucking grotesque and he's draining blood out of his mouth. Like it's just like he's drooling blood and it looks so gross and weird. And you're like, how, who the fuck is this for? Like, like the you picture know, of Dorian Gray. Yeah. But yeah, but you, you know, you that, are like, overselling this in such a fucking ridiculous fashion. Like, like if you watch it, this is not made like this is made the freak out. Even the gayest of gay people. It is so no lazy, Vaughn. It is what? literally the epitome of lazy cinema. Uh, and I don't know. I there think the are best, shots, the, best, the art, like it's an art house space. film because you have yeah. a shot of a dude's face as he's riding, obviously, in the back of a truck, of a truck down yeah. a tunnel. Yes. For and it goes on for like ten minutes. Like Evan, there, there's a scene in the film where he is dressed up in in the in the zombie makeup and he's sitting in a coffee shop in L.A. Just and it's just a ten minute scene of him sitting in a coffee shop drinking coffee, like he's spitting it into his cup, and it's drooling it, drooling it down his face. That's and it's art. just ten minutes, and it's beautiful. It's fun as hell because you're like in the middle of the movie. You've already had, you've already had, <laughs> this, is, this is some of the most bullshit hyperbole I've ever heard in my life. I don't know. I think I think you've lost your mind. Uh, <laughs> like, and it's is, like, hey, dudes, I have a camera. Let's go sit on the street corner, and why don't you play with a rock while I film you? No, that's it's not, what this is. It's not, just not bullshit. It's bullshit. No, come on. You have because the thing is, a lot of the scenes in the film are done on the streets of LA. So, like the scene where you he finds a guy dead and he fucks him back to life is done on a street somewhere in LA, like in, in an area, like he's doing this all kind of like really just like no, 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 uh, no fucking the hell's a permits. He's just doing it. And it's, it's great that way. It's fun that way because it's so like, he's trying to do something, trying to push some kind of edge, but the Gorilla. film is, but the film is not made for anybody because no, no straight people, well, except for myself, Derek and Paula um, are going to watch this. You know I mean? Even when the, when the R rated cut came out and showed at a, tiff people walked out of it because they're like wait what the fuck is this like why are we watching this and they and they they sort of think like the next boring as fuck that's why it's not boring the the okay just to yeah aside from the photo of the guy that you posted the quotes that derek read from the reviews that's what got me like there was actually it was actually noticed by what was it rolling stone or something yeah 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 that was crazy to me 
I think that guy seriously got kicked in the head by a horse before he saw the film, but um, that's none of it made like I was flabbergasted because the thing is, if you, if you look at the stuff that he's made before that, like Raspberry Reich and Otto and stuff like that, he was really he's really pushing a, an angle. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like a with Otto, it's very much a film about a young man coming out to his parents and, you know, the whole allegory of zombies and stuff like that. It's kind of a it's it works. It works towards homosexuality, you know, coming out as a, as homeless as gay. Um, it works on a whole angle. And then he kind of continued it with this character. He was like, you know what, let me just do like, cause in that film, there are some sex scenes in that film, but they're cut out. You gotta, when you get the DVD, they actually have them in there. Um, which, which is great. If you want to, you want to, you want to freak a bunch of people out, show them, show them a weird sex scene where a person's being bitten and there's blood being sprayed across the walls. You'll clear a, be- a whole house out in 10 minutes. It's the best thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> That's what I do all the time. I, I when I had the already cut of this, I'd put the first. You know, you'd get you. The thing is, the film works is like it kind of, it, it slowly kind of puts you in a, a trance sort of way. I know Derek would find this is a, is bullshit. I'm going to let you go on this because I'm generally is interested in where this is going to go. It's bullshit, but I'm going to listen to you. It starts with him walking out of the, out of the ocean in his whole kind of like, like zombie look and. It's a film that intercuts between him as a zombie, him looking normal, walking around the bums of LA with a cart, you know, with his ripped up clothes. And it's, and, and Francis God's a very big kind of muscular kind of dude. Um, so it's kind of weird when you see all these fucking really nasty looking bums and he's walking around pushing a cart. <laughs> it's the honest thing. But he puts you into this kind of weird lull and then he smacks you in the head with the first sex scene. And you're like, wait, what? Like, okay. And then it keeps doing it. And then he does like this weird lull with the freaking coffee house scene. And then you get another sex scene, which like, uh, okay. And then, you know, he keeps ratcheting it. And then by the end of it, he's got this, that whole orgy scene at the end is just like, Oh fuck. Because it just, it keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's his best work. I think the stuff that he's doing now, the last three films he's put out now um, are pretty fun. You know, he, he just, I forget what the film he just did. He, he did like an anthology where he remade one of Pasolini's shorts in it, which I, I'm actually looking forward to try to find. Um, but like, I, I think it's as like, as like, if you, if, if you see an actor, a director who's kind of making his way up, this is like the, like, this is at a point in his career where it's like, if he, if he screws this up, it's going to kill him, but it just kind of made him continue to go work. Like no one really got too freaked out by it which I think was the one thing he was trying to do was trying to shock people. And it does, it is shocking. You know, I know you find it very boring, mm-hmm. but it is, it is, it is a shocking kind of film because it beats you over the head with the, the you know, cause you know, he it's it's a combination of like, he's using like some kind of weird, like attachment to where his penis should be. And then there's occasionally scenes where he's just straight up having sex with people. Um, and that's the, that's where the cut and the R rated cut is mostly the scenes where he's using the appliance Mm-hmm. You know the the freaking zombie penis thing that he yeah, has, the prosthetic where it shoots blood out when he comes. Yeah, we see all you see all those scenes, but once it goes into the straight sex, it cuts to like yeah, it cuts to the to the jizz scene where he's spraying the freaking guy all over the place like like a hose. Um, and then the end scene, it just goes, it cuts like in the already cut, it keeps you keep getting oh these little bits. It's like oh this is gross, this is gross, that's weird, this is gross, and then also in that end scene happens, you're like whoa, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, I'm not a person who's... Oh, I said that. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, at the end of it, you just get beat in the head with it. But uh, it I don't know. It worked. Yeah. I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth checking out, but it's definitely like, you know, don't have mom over, but, you know, 
Like it, I said, his, his films are made for the family, though. You know, oh my, God. Family. Oh my family. God. It's there's a point, listeners, of why I'm what? letting this conversation go on for so long. It about might get zombie. For the longest time, the movie we're about to talk about, The Rats Are Coming, The Werewolves Are Here, I thought was the worst movie I ever saw oh, in my entire life. I, I, and I've watched a lot of horse shit, like a lot of really terribly low yeah. budget, micro budget, no budget bullshit, which most people wouldn't even count as movies, which yeah. I think, you know, you have to scale back your your opinions, and your expectations on movies mm-hmm. where people just have no resources and they're putting them together. Of course, they're not going to stack up to, you know, yeah, like Hollywood. Hollywood. yeah. Um, but yeah, L.A. Zombie hands down <laughs> come on he's got to be the worst movie ever. so you're saying it's it's a worse movie yes but 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 it it's not a non-movie like bat pussy uh, it's close <laughs> it is it is close because there are i mean bad pussy is a good film to watch because it's clearly because that it was a film that was probably made for one theater show at all the time, whenever, and it was never meant to be seen. Besides yeah, that, that's one an theater. example of these like non. Yeah, so it's not, like a loop. It's essentially yeah. like a loop. Yeah. Yeah. This all, yeah. It's it's a little, a little but bit it's it's close. I would I would say, and not to go on anymore about L.A. Zombie because okay. I don't what? really want to dedicate. I have a whole hours? podcast already dedicated to it, but <laughs> um, it's it is a non movie in the way that. There is no plot to this movie. There's no progression of any story that goes on in it. It is one dude that is yoked beyond belief and naked almost the whole movie going from one sex scene to the next scene. There's no dialogue. Any of anybody talking in it, it's incidental. Just people, that sound talking in the background. There's nothing going on. So if you find two hours of dudes fucking each other, shocking or even remotely interesting fine go go see it whatever but as a movie to sit and watch for two hours it was insufferable to sit through that movie because nothing interesting happens at all and all the sex scenes go on for fucking ever yeah we hey, just sat and listened to you talk some mad bullshit. Like Derek, this was Derek, some important movie. When you get a chance in the in the messaging in the messenger, can you send me your address <laughs> so I can no. buy, mail you a box of tissues? Because it just sounds like a lot of crime. It's terrible. It's fucking awful. Uh, Which well, leads us it. to the final movie of the your night. favorite film in the world. Yes, the rats are coming. The werewolves are here, and to start this off, because I desperately need to know, I'm going to have Evan tell us what is the plot of the soap opera, which is the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. It is the epic story of the Moonies. This is the family of, this is a strange family, let's say that. We don't know what they are. For a while. For the first half hour, we're, we're introduced to a similar situation that we saw back in uh, Seeds. So we're, we're, we're introduced to a bunch of brothers and sisters um, at a, a rich family estate, which I think we mentioned at the time was a, was, a, was a familiar trope 
of Milligan's where you have this uh, family and, and a patriarch or a matriarch that's going to go soon and where are the spoils of the, uh, the family uh, fortune going to go to. And, um, and uh, we, we, we open on another Milligan trope, which is an oaf being beaten up and started <laughs> on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. By a couple of, neighborhood hoodlums i don't know we never see them again yeah. but uh uh this is uh, one of the brothers named malcolm um and he somehow got out of his chains uh whether that was accidental or whether he was let out by monica the youngest of the family and um and we find that um this family is they all hate each other just like uh, most of his stories well, and, uh, I, spent- I, I seriously, the, the one thing is that I think Monica hates everybody. <laughs> I think the, the older okay. sister is very yeah. in the middle, and then you have the younger bro- the younger son, the younger brother who is borderline retarded, so he doesn't really speak or anything like that. Um, so you have pretty much Monica, who seems like she she wants to start shit with everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And the father is very matriarchal, who's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing my work, like, and I don't care if my kids try to kill each other, but eh, well, I'll, yeah. I'll figure out something. Yeah. Papa. Yeah. Um, the the funny thing is the first so the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was actually writing down the what the apparent ages of these characters were. And the only thing funny about this is that uh, the the one who sort of takes care of everybody is uh, Phoebe. And she looks like she's 55. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, man, it's so depressing. Uh, <laughs> she's supposed to be 39. <laughs> <laughs> this really hits me uh, deeply. Um, Did this movie crush your spirit in that way? Yeah, it's like what? What, what is happening? I feel like Milligan is just being nice to the actors. <laughs> but yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So there's a there's a there's a fan. There's Papa lives in the house. Uh, Phoebe is the oldest. 39 and she looks like 59 and she's taking care of everybody her brother um mortimer and their sister diana is coming in with her new husband gerald she's been in scotland they have a whole conversation when they get to the house about their pasts <laughs> i'm like yeah they should have gone over this before they got married on the boat <laughs> yeah yeah like he he tells her that you know his father you know raped and killed a six-year-old um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> again for no reason because Milligan loves that, that incidental uh, scum. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so th- th- there's kind, kind of a lot of conversation back and forth um, between, these, lightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ah. between these siblings and Diana coming home. And we, we, there's, there's slowly revealed uh, that the the fact that Diana has gotten married is is going to be problematic. Um, oh, you know, Phoebe, huge fucking problem. Yeah. yeah, Phoebe says you should not have done this. This is you 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 do not have like the authority to do this. You don't have the right to do this to get married. Yeah. This is going to be problematic. And and then we slowly find out that Phoebe or I'm sorry, uh, Diana went to school to medical school because she's supposed to continue in her father's experiments so yeah. whatever's happening has to do with science or biology <laughs> or something 
<laughs> and uh, it's gobbledygook to hell. I yeah. think. I think <laughs> Again, what are you along, likely? <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, as things go along, you sort of get the idea that Moonies. They talk about full moon. That these are a family of werewolves. Um, and also the title of the movie. So that's where we're we're going towards. We're we're rolling towards the the altercation as the as the full moon comes out, yeah. and um, and I, I would say the 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 most shocking part of this movie really did shock me, which is they tortured a mouse in this movie. Oh yes, they definitely tortured a living mouse in this movie, and it was it was troublesome. <laughs> Uh, really? It's a mouse. Yeah. It's not like a cat or a dog or a four-year-old child. It's yeah, a yeah. Um, and yeah, so they're a family of werewolves. I just want to say, though, before we get talking about the movie, like, Derek, do you really think that this is the worst movie ever now? Like, this can't be any more... I feel like you've well, had... Well, no, L.A. Much- Zombie has taken that away from... I think from that others must have... No, come on. This, this is your- not that... This wasn't as bad... Ass. And like, oh, this is, like torture yeah, you're fucking killing me, bro. I'm sorry, man. Come this on. is not as bad as you were making it yeah. out to be. Torture Dungeon is worse than this. Bloodthirsty Butchers nope. is worse than this. Nope. Come on. Yes. Nope. Yes. Nope. This at least this story at least has like a coherent fucking storyline. I mean, like, because you know there's something, you know that he's holding back something because when you introduce the father, he has to remind people that he's hundreds of years old, like a hundred times. He must bring it up like five times in the whole film. And when the daughter comes home from the from from the uh, freaking medical school and she, he finds out that she's married, he's pissed about it. He's like, oh, really? Like, how are you going to continue my work if you're if you're married? You're going to be preoccupied with this husband of yours and children and other bullshit. Like, I didn't have to worry about that because I had your mother. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like that. There's actually a storyline in here that actually works. And and you have characters that actually work. You have the Quasimodo character, but he's not really. He's more like a, a freak child. Because he sits in a room filled with chickens that are thrown at him from off screen, which I think is the funniest fucking thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, those thrown chickens. Yeah, funny. He just, he's standing on, he's laying on the floor in a twitch position and chickens are flying at him. And it's like, okay, that's that's wonderful. You have shitty fucking sisters. You have a shitty sister who's deliberately torturing him all the time. Like he's she's clearly the one who let him out in the start. And I don't understand that there's these people are the worst people around here, like the, this family. Yet the people who live outside the gates of the of the home seem to be a lot worse because they're trying to light the guy on fire from the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> well, because yeah. they know they're fucking werewolves. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Good point. I didn't and think of that. So, like we say, that the family we find out the family's were uh, werewolves. The the great reveal is that the oldest the oldest daughter of the of the three. Um, she not only is a werewolf, but she could change at will. She can, she just not like the rest of the family gets locked in their rooms at night during the full moon because are fearful that they're going to get, they're going to escape and kind of cause havoc. Um, but she's been able to figure out through experimenting experimentation. It looks like, um, that she can transform back and forth as a werewolf whenever she feels like it. And she's pregnant. You know? Oh, she's pregnant. Yeah. We, we get that. We get that lovely 10 minute stroll at the end of the film, which is just, Oh, I love I love the I love after the whole reveal and after we find out she's pre- she's pregnant and she can turn back. She kills the husband because he's a piece of shit and wants to go back to Scotland. <laughs> it's like, wait, yeah. you want to go back? No, no, we're not going back now. And that's the only reason she kills him is because she doesn't want to go back to Scotland. <laughs> she's like, no, wait, do your family does your family know you're here? No. OK, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, by the way, again, again, does yeah. anybody know you're here? Yeah. Well, I I just got married to you on the boat here. So I guess no one really knows that we're married. So yeah, whatever. 
it's like I, I I like this film a lot. I think this film's fun. I think the fact that like you like I said, unlike other like it feels like in this film, it feels like he's learned from fa- past mistakes. It feels like if you, no, it does. It feels like it feels like because he got back from because this it was was it. This was I'm seven, letting you guys just go, and at some point I'll interject know, here because right. I this is all so fucking so, preposterous. Uh, so, so he, had, he, he had a two year period. He, the, the last he was in the UK until in in the, the films in 1970, and then all of a sudden there's like a two year gap, and then he puts this film out. So either he had time to sit around and do nothing. Or he was actually like he actually was like maybe like actually paying attention to people's opinions on the films he was putting out, and was like, let me see if I can actually do a film that's fun because after this he has a nice weird period of fun films. Mm-hmm. You know Agreed. what I mean? Agreed. Right. So yes. as like a horror movie, this is a fun, this is a fun little feature because and it seems like he may have learned some things from working on Nightbirds and The Body Beneath, which are two films that are good in the seven in 1970. And then he had a two year gap where he didn't make any films, and he made this film next. You know, okay, so uh, let me clarify a few things here. Yeah, this film up. was shot at the same time that Body Beneath, Bloodthirsty Butchers, and The Man with Two Heads was made. It was actually made back to back with these films. So there's no break. It was shot originally in 1969 under the name The Curse of the Full Moon. Then oh. when Andy Milligan's producer, William Mishkin, saw this film, He felt it was too short. And due to the success of Willard, which came out in 1971, he had Milligan go shoot two new sequences nearly two years later to fill it to 92 minutes. And I'm thinking the two sequences were probably the opening and the ending. Nope. The two sequences were the, the scenes with the rats where Andy Milligan plays a shopkeeper. Oh yeah, it's okay. He plays that, that guy. That's yeah. Andy Milligan, which are two, arguably two that. of the best scenes in the movie <laughs> because yeah. there's extremely self-aware. Yes, yes. Andy exactly. Milligan is playing it up. It's almost like a John Waters sequence where it's mm-hmm. a completely ridiculous character, yeah. Blo- yeah. just speaking, just endless speaking about the dumbest shit the shopkeeper troll scene it's just filmed as filler his character constantly is changing the subject of whatever he's doing and it feels like he's just taking the piss out of his own film during these scenes that were shot two years later whatever He he, he definitely gave himself the best makeup yeah it looked like he'd been through three different types of accident yeah but these these sequences are there only to go and bring the rats angle of the title into the film it's the only reason they're there but the thing is when you look at the brother's room there's rats running around his room all the time so i don't know what the hell they're talking about why the hell the rat title has to be brought in like it's it's a funny scene because it doesn't feel like it's out of place it doesn't feel like it was added to a film. Like sometimes when you get films like that, where it's like, clearly this was shot two or three years ago and you're adding this to the film well, because people either, because, well, yeah, because Andy's covered in plastic and, and makeup and putty and all the other shit. So it doesn't look like anything different. And the woman who's playing the actress who's playing that's in that scenes with him, it doesn't look, she doesn't look any different. She still looks a hundred fucking years old. So it's like, you know, you're not really killing me there. I would, uh, I would agree that, that those scenes with uh, the animal, you know, pet dealer, yeah. uh, they they do kind of sort of set up the character of Monica 
that she's some kind of ghoul that she's buying yeah. pets to torture right. or whatever. But I think, I think that your, your point is uh, taken that they do seem to be added in the fact that she took the rat, the rats back because it bit her in the finger yeah. and she wanted her <laughs> money back. And it's like, what? Aren't you a werewolf? Like, yeah. who cares uh, that the rat she's bit you on the she's finger? Clear, but she's clearly using the rat to kind of torture her brother, which I think is hilarious. I think is great. It's like well, we already have chickens flying all over the throne, so we'll just throw a rat in there too to see what happens. I think that 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 it, just, it, it hits home, like you said, it hits home that she's a piece of garbage, like that she's the worst of these people. Which is amazing because the father's terrible. He just doesn't care about any of his kids' feelings at all. He's been constantly working on. God knows what experiment, and the experiment is pretty much to kind of cure them from their we- vampire, from their werewolfism. But it seems like he hasn't really worked out that well. The you know his his youngest child seems to be some kind of weird hybrid, um, like where it's where he's not truly a human, he's not truly a werewolf. Uh, you have like you have the caregiver who just I don't know why she's even there because we just need one more person in the cast, um, and she's clearly in there just to kind of help the the plot get pushed forward. Uh, because you can just you could have just done this clearly with just the uh, the elder daughter, the shitty daughter, and have them fighting uh, over control of this ho- of the of the homestead, or like when the father dies, because the father does die at some point in the film, and it would it would work clearly if you just had them two fighting out who controls the house. You know what I mean? After he dies, and then chaos ensues when the full moon comes, but you don't get that you can't you get with him it's this constant push of like we have to have melodrama we have to have melodrama we have to have the husband in there who's going to just pull, cause more problems um you know and no one's really no one really likes each other it's even though the daughter the oldest daughter seems to be devoted to her father the father really doesn't give a shit about her feelings in any way uh <laughs> and it's just I, I don't know I, I i like the fact that it it works like it it feels uh, to me, it just reminded me of Seeds. Yeah, and that's what—that's kind of why I liked it. I thought it I, wasn't that bad. No. Okay. Okay. I'm can not, I? Can I? Can I? Go ahead, my, Can I speak Four. my piece here, boys? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. At least all right. Old. All right. So, Andy Milligan originally was a stage playwright. All right. That's where he comes from—the school of writing for the stage, right. in which you you write for characters to speak long. passages of dialogue and everything is spoken in exposition because you can't go and and show things happening. You have to tell about those things happening. The rats are coming. The werewolves are here is written and shown very much like a stage play. Very little in the way of location changes camera moves. It's mostly for the most part, Two people standing in rooms talking for insanely long periods of time about things we never see. And I like that about things that have happened and they never see. I would rather listen to this. And I kind of did the last time that I watched (laughs) this. I listened to it and not watched it. Now, if you were to just listen to it and listen Mm -hmm. to the story that's going on. Yeah. And this was an audio drama. This would be so much better, but as a film, as a film in which films native language and in most inherently important trait is that it's a visual medium, right? When that is shot so poorly (laughs) out of focus, 
underexposed. The people are blocked center frame for the majority of it. The camera never moves. It's set and people just sit with so much negative space around them that you stop paying attention to the people who are talking because all they're doing is talking about things you've never seen. You'll never see for long periods of time. Your mind wanders. It is like watching paint dry. I could give two fucks about anything that's going on when I'm watching this movie, when I'm listening to it. If this I would love to hear this. I'd love to see somebody put this on as a stage play. I think it would work fine. Yeah. Or as, release this as an audio drama. I think it would work great. Cut down some of the bullshit and rework this into an audio medium. As a movie, it is an absolute failure. It's just so boring to watch. It goes on forever for no reason. People standing in the middle of the frame talking about bullshit forever ever it is like <laughs> watching paint fucking dry this movie i and i i'm so glad this is the final time i ever have to watch this movie oh, so it is me, garbage let me go back to la zombie real quick <laughs> so with la zombie the one thing i really enjoy about the film is that the fact that it's quiet there's no there's just music there's, <laughs> except for guys going uh, uh, well yeah uh, Besides the uh, sex, because they're, uh, because they're sleepily when, fucking each other. When you watch the scenes that are just going on, where it's just clearly he's trying to do an art film between the sex scenes. It's the character because the actor, the guy speaks no English, so it's just he's quietly walking around places, and it's and it's 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 beautiful and like a dreamlike quality. With this film, your whole complaint is that it's it's a play, right? And I like the fact that it's a play. I, the fact that we already know by this time, by the time with the stuff we're watching now, is that the guy can't shoot these films from shit he doesn't know how to shoot a film he doesn't he knows that if you keep the film you keep the camera here and you get the actors here you can shoot the scenes you want you can shoot but the scenes you that was Except proven wrong with seeds though and seeds he handheld the thing and it was dynamic he got in things were moved they were able to have this melodrama and able to have intrigue with a lot of exposition because sure. he used cinema for its inherent strengths which is the visual medium here right. it's it's done because he had to rush through and make this thing so mm-hmm. what can you do just stand in the middle of the frame i'm gonna hit this hit camera mm-hmm. hit it start and right. i'm just gonna let it roll but i unlike unlike the last film we talked about unlike uh bloodthirsty butchers where that's boring in a weird and you know and this is the same thing it's the same kind of film but that film feels tedious and boring to me this film doesn't feel that way to me. It feels like he's actually like the story actually feels engaging. I actually get with, I can get into the story. Unlike Bud Thirsty Butchers, where it's just like, come on. Like we're just arguing. Like just people are arguing all the fucking time. And this film, because maybe, maybe it, it's not because of the whole supernatural angle, because the supernatural angle is so like thrown out there willy nilly. It's just like, meh, we're, we're, we're werewolves. Eh, you know, and this film, I just, I don't know. I think it's maybe because the acting is a lot. I, I like the acting in the film. I think I like the fact that it isn't completely his whole kind of like typical, like we have this character, we have this. We uh, He's hitting his spots in this film, but I feel like he's doing it. And he has a, what's the word? He's trying to, like, he's trying to stretch himself a little bit, even though he's still hitting the same. Yeah, you know, a guy gets, a uh, little woman checking. gets her hand chopped off in yeah, an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. There's still a Quasimodo. The Andy yeah. Milligan's the Quasimodo in this movie. Yeah. 
Well, there's two actually, because he's one, and the son, and the and the brothers allegedly. The brothers I suppose kind of you could consider one. the brother, yeah, the yeah, other one, yeah, Quasi one, yeah, because he's kind of this weird kind of wolf child. Um, but I don't know. I find I, I there's something compelling about it that I find that I I, I like. Well, you know I mean? Derek, at least you have to say that your judgment of this movie is at least now nuanced a bit. <laughs> that it's the worst movie. <laughs> using the visual medium i mean <laughs> we we've had worse stories already in the milligan right right canon. but as a movie it fails right, right and that's for me that's also why la zombie fails for me <laughs> because it's boring i think the worst thing you could ever say about any movie content whatever it is what it is people want to be shocking people want to be subversive people want to do daring things want to be weird fine i don't care when you're <laughs> boring that is the death knell of movies for me yeah, and when true. i'm watching a movie i and this may be just my personal taste i want to see something visually stimulating and when it, it's not visually stimulating and people are literally just standing in the middle of the screen talking, I tune out. I tune out. I Maybe that makes me superficial and maybe makes me, you know, stupid or <laughs> whatever. I get bored by it. I get, maybe I have ADD. I just I need something more than that, What which is why. I said, if this was just an audio drama, mm -hmm. this movie would totally work. I can take I think that, a lot of what you guys say about what you like about this movie, I get it. When I listened to it this last time as opposed to watching it, yes, there the plot, I mean, what he's doing is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to listen to. Yeah. But to watch it, I would rather I'd rather go outside and lay in my and stare at the sky. I I think that you you're probably right. If I was to watch this again, not taking notes, not trying to figure out what the story is, I'd probably be terribly bored. Terribly yeah. bored. You don't think so? No, I I, I I've watched Vaughn, Vaughn's obviously mentally ill. We've established this on the podcast <laughs> best. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, We've God. had two podcasts now where Vaughn and I have hashed this out over this movie. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Like I know, I know you guys are gonna like. I think next week, next episode, and the episode after that are gonna definitely be like where you two are gonna be like blowing him hardcore. Yeah. Um. So like, I have to, I kind of pick and choose with my kind of things. I think, I think the thing is, when I first saw this film, I saw it with. I originally saw was it like Rats Night of Terror, and then I saw another movie where rats are coming. I was like, "Ooh, ooh!" There's another movie with like some weird rat thing going off, and there's werewolves. All yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it put me for a loop. And like the first time I watched this, I wasn't particularly fond of it. And then when I started getting more into his stuff, I was like, "Oh, okay." And then I, you know, as I picked the list, I, I should give you, I should give you my top ten, one, maybe one of the. I'll put it up in the in the messenger. Maybe I'll read it out one episode um when we get middle when we get in the middle of this all this but it's it's definitely in there because it's not it's not boring i feel like like i said i, I feel like the the acting is well done the storyline's fun for what it is even the scenes that were shot after the two years later feel like they belong there it doesn't feel like it's added stuff well they're the i think they're the best scenes of the movie those are those are probably the, and it's right in the middle so it's like oh this is a nice like 
little spot in the place where it feels like you should be lulled into submission by now where he's like, Oh, this isn't, this is interesting. Uh, because those are fun scenes. Those, those couple of scenes that he has with, uh, with himself and the reveal at the end of the film, when, when you finally get the reveal, like when she finally has it with the husband, which I, I always, I always think is great. Cause he's constantly like, well, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay here. I want to move back. I want, and, and somebody like, just well, tried to kill me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, and you know, and they're pretty much the house. The family's been pretty much murdered by each other. And that's another thing: is it's a it's a who done it? Who's killing who in the family? And you find out it's the the eldest sister, uh, because she can transform back and forth. And then you know he gets he gets revealed, and you have that ten that five minute loop, the five minute scene at the end with the with the new caregiver and her sitting there knitting in the in the backyard. Um, and it's just it's so like okay, this is the weirdest like bookend to, the, to a film that Two is like ladies knitting about children named petunia yes it's great i'm like oh that's that's this is, this is it's just okay this is a great way to end it it's just like it's funny i had I, after watching this i i swear it's written down in my notebook prediction rats is derek's favorite movie of the night that's what i thought that this was going to reveal i thought oh, that you were going to oh, no i thought that you were going to change your whole tune no the prediction what did change for me is that i actually had something good to say about it was was the whole audio revelation for me was was the the i've seen this this year i've seen this movie far too much i've seen at least four times this year never have to watch it again it never again i think it it can't be understated i have to say this to my listeners this movie is about werewolves. Yes, but no werewolves. But it doesn't happen until five minutes left in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it is some cockamamie bullshit. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's great. They're it's easily great. beaten, these werewolves. Yeah. But you just, you just hold them back. As I yeah. said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to slug through watching people horribly shot center frame talking about shit you never see but if you're an hour and a half if you're watching these films like along with us you can see where like me and evan are kind of like all right this isn't too bad this is actually quite fine you know what i mean (laughs) like i like how i'm the outsider on my own fucking show here you're the one who's just you know railing against it. This is this is boring. Blah blah blah. There's it is. Blah, it's blah, blah, fucking blah. terribly boring. It's not terribly. Blah blah blah. It's like the man was the man was an artist, sir. <laughs> you should understand all the he people was an who exploitation under- filmmaker. Yeah, Let's be person- very clear about this. Yeah, These, this funny- era of Andy Milligan was pure exploitation filmmaking. Was yeah. we cranked when you crank out three movies back to back to back with various angles present which was sex violence and creatures that's yeah. exploitation filmmaking whether or not you make art in the midst of that and, and, and he's, that this is a workman this is workman mentality at this point he's regurgitating mm-hmm. themes and not really adding anything new to this right I, I, and the thing is, yes you you you're using the term workman as it's a bad thing uh, uh, but you know, there are some very good workman directors. This you know is true. So don't, so don't bust balls. That at, some some dudes that are workmen that actually do something with the medium that they're uh, using. 
He's got to do something in the medium. Jesus Christ, why can't the oh, man just make a movie? Oh, he's got to make a film. Oh, my gosh. Make what, a, a movie. what an odd concept. Do oh something God. with the medium that you're actually using. My God, he's got to be so fucking clever. Christ, they can't just hey, make a movie. Didn't you notice, Derek, they had that diagonal in the beginning and the diagonal leaving at the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As they went over the grounds of the yeah, estate. Oh, oh, my God. It... it, it, it uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, hey listeners this will be the most negative I'll be the entire run of these episodes is these two films are the bottom for me are the bloodthirsty butchers and the rats are coming because they are just boring they are just plainly boring now I see the points that my boys are making here on the show and I mean I I take my hats off to them I mean, I, I always love people that find something good in any any piece of quote unquote art. Uh, <laughs> but for, for me, it just is I it's just not my thing. I just can't see anything but boredom in these movies. Well, that Bloodthirsty least- Butchers is boring because it's just so hackneyed and it's just so poorly put together. This is boring because he just doesn't use cinema at all it's like watching a stage play with somebody who just doesn't want to frame up things correctly right so that's that's all i have to say about this final thoughts evan (laughs) well i was excited about tonight because you know, you got to deal with your past, your dark past. My dark past, my evil secrets. I figured Vaughn would be at the height of his <laughs> of his uh, groundless advocacy, and uh, and I thought I would hit rock bottom basically, and the, everything up else would be uphill from here, a hard uphill climb from here. And I'm excited about that. So yeah. out of the three movies tonight, what would you label as your favorite and your least favorite? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Guru is the best. There's nothing wrong with that movie other than Milligan, but it's it's <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not bad. And uh, and Bloodthirsty Butchers is the worst. This one is in the middle. This one's not... It's not the be- it's not the worst. It's not the best. That's why I did. That's why I figured you may have changed your tune because I I, I thought that after yeah. watching all of these over and over again, you would have seen that it wasn't the bottom. No, but if you're if you're counting, yeah, camera work and and, uh, and dynamic engagement, I suppose uh, I can see why it's boring in that way and like i said if i watched it again i probably would be as bored just because i wouldn't be trying to figure out the story anymore and then an hour and a half would be like three hours yeah that's 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 really my my judgment of this and my 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 final thought if we're doing a final thought i came up with a clever one because of the other trope that i noticed is uh milligan and his dinner tables and his uh centerpieces where he tries to frame both the top of the candles and the faces speaking to each other i want to say that milligan himself is the centerpiece of 2019. Oh, okay, Vaughn. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to you, but I mean, you and I have dedicated an awful yes. lot of time talking about this so, movie. Let me talk about two of my favorite films in this series so far. 
The rats are coming. The world's running. And Guru the Mad Mug. One of my least favorites is Bloodthirsty Butchers. So it's always amazing to me when it's like, oh yeah, it's, they're all shot around the same time, and it's just like, how much time did he give to this one compared to this one? Yeah. It's like you can definitely feel that he he probably had more invested in this film and Guru than he did in Bloodthirsty Butchers. Feels like Bloodthirsty Butchers, like I said, said felt like a film where he was just, I have to, I have to fill time. I have like three weeks off. Let me make a movie real quick. You know what I mean? With these films, like he felt like, even though it probably wasn't, probably still didn't have enough time. Probably only had like three weeks to make a movie, but it just felt like he had more invested in this film and in Guru the Mad Monk. There's a funness to these films, to these two films. I know you don't feel the way, the same way there, uh, Derek. You feel like they're just crap that he's, he's dragging out. He's just grinding them out to make money and trying to keep himself alive. Um, but it's just there's a fun there's a funness to those films, you know, and the fact that was it a uh, Ratchet coming is ninety something minutes is ninety one minutes and it doesn't feel like the typical kind of Andy Milligan oh this is ninety minutes and it's gonna be pure torture for ninety minutes where I was like oh I forgot that this movie actually is done I was like all right great awesome I get to watch it again that was great you know. But I, I, I like, I, like I said, these are, these are definitely two of my favorites. We're going to, the next episode, we're probably going to tackle another. I know you're going to, you guys are all going to be over them, but I, I definitely have fun with the, the, uh, these films overall. But yeah, Bloodthirsty Butchers is boring. No one should ever watch it. If it's in a bo- Blu-ray box set, maybe you should get rid of that disc unless they <laughs> double feature it with another film that's worth it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I like them. It's definitely worth checking out, you know? Like every every episode we're going to be doing this, I'm just going to say watch them, you know, because you you should, you know. There's there's definitely directors out there that like you've been slowly doing with the uh, the podcast at Ori Cashel, where you're just kind of reintroducing people to like these 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 kind of filth directors, and it's like with this director, I think that more and more people need to see his work and see that this guy was out there kind of trying to push the limits of exploitation, you know, cheap exploitation as, as far as he could with the small amount of money he had. Yeah. Well, he's a very idiosyncratic voice. I mean, it's obvious as a filmmaker, he had a perspective and he made movies only from the perspective that he could make them from. And when I said workmen, it was more like how these movies were made as opposed to like the mental state, because all of these types of exploitation filmmakers who sometimes are labeled as workmen, that they are kind of chameleons with the movies that they make and they could be made by anyone. A Milligan movie is a Milligan movie. Yeah. You know that he made it. His stamp yeah. is all over these movies. Right. Yeah, and all the same every trope, every film he does, it's every like it's a checklist pretty much. If you ha- we can you can build a drinking game around all his movies. And you'd be pretty, you know, you'd pretty be pretty tipsy by the time you get done with at least one or two of them. Mm-hmm. Because it's all the same stuff and it's just he knows the plot, he knows the angle and he just runs with it. Mm-hmm. And and I like that. I like the fact that he he understands. He doesn't try to change anything. Yes, it some people would find that boring, but like I think it's interesting that he he can continue just to kind of run with the same ideas constantly. Be as it may, you know. But whatever well when somebody puts out the the amount of work that he put out in such a short period of time mm-hmm. it's worth talking about it's and his work kind of runs the gamut from, from stuff like vapors and nightbirds that we haven't talked about yet which are more dramas 
two ridiculous over the top slapstick comedies like we'll come up and talk about Serger Kill coming up and uh, these period pieces and gothic horror movies, which we'll be talking about next episode with blood in the body beneath. Um, he kind of is all over the place. So as an exploitation and horror fan, I mean, most of us are inherently curious people that want to seek this stuff out and when you find one of the movies that work you kind of want to seek out the rest of them and and even if you know there's varying degrees of shittiness throughout them i mean you find something to enjoy there's like a moment and andy milligan always has moments in his movies even at the worst of them there's a moment in there where you're like oh that's fucking weird. <laughs> just just to interject for a second, uh, one of the things I'm most interested in seeing after uh, this series that we're doing, I want to see how you could write a book about him and why you would write a book about him. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, the bookends, you know, of Vapors and <clears throat> Nightbirds or whatever, justify a book or a, a treatment of Andy Milligan. But if you were to just watch these middle ones, there would be, I can't imagine him standing out among the morass of terrible one week run movies. Why that, why anybody would write a book. (laughs) So I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a romanticism to the grindhouse in this area, era of, you know, filmmaking in general. And now that, you know, we have people like Nicholas Winding Refn that are going back and paying money to restore these movies and bring them back into the spotlight. Uh He's adding an air of legitimacy to some of this stuff, which, you know, it's arguable. Is it worth it? Um, But when anybody that has clout in the industry decides to sail their flag for anything like take, for example, when uh, Elijah Wood name drops Tim Ritter a number of years ago and truth or dare a critical madness. I mean, then all of a sudden, Oh, everyone's going back and watching truth or dare a critical madness. I genuinely feel for the most part, you know, especially this era of no budget, low budget exploitation film is far superior and different than what we're going through right now. Yeah, definitely (laughs) far superior. And it's arguable whether or not, you know, it's, you know, the democratization of uh, film gear and that the fact that anybody, everybody has a 4K camera in their pocket and they can just go out and shoot and just make whatever. And we have avenues for that to be distributed. And, you know, we now have just this needle in a haystack kind of world where there's so much content. We'll never be able to see any of it. And then there's this era of film that's out there right here the 70s 60s and 70s where there is a finite amount of stuff that's there and for the most part it was shot on film and to shoot stuff on film you one had to have money and two had to have somebody talented enough to know what to do with that so usually there's an air there's a air of legitimacy to movies that are shot on film so there's varying degrees of shittiness because <laughs> you don't people that have money don't want to waste m- money on something that they're not going to get returns on uh, their investment with when they have to put thousands upon thousands of dollars into just the production of this thing where now it's just it costs nothing to nope. produce these movies. Yeah. So I 
we'll always, you know, romanticize this era and look back at it as a curiosity as opposed who's going to look back at exploitation and no budget filmmaking now with any sort of romantic air. Right. It's YouTube videos. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to happen. So that's why, you know, we all we're all here deep diving. Plus, hey, let's be honest. We're old dudes. Yeah, this is we kind of grew up watching this kind of stuff on TV, you know, so it's there. So let's take a break, folks. And when we come back, we'll say goodbye to this episode and uh, perhaps the darkest of all our Andy Milligan episodes. And uh, ne- the next one, oh, it's going to be much happier. As <laughs> Vaughn said, it's it's going to be much more glowing than this. And let's celebrate the fact that I never have to watch the rats are coming. The werewolves are here again, ever in my whole miserable fucking life. That's going to happen. So congrats. That's the best thing to come out of this episode. Yay. All right, let's take a break.
I'm Daniel, and today we're going to look at my rack. <laughs> no, my name's Daniel. My name's Daniel, but my friends call me Daniel, and this is the bottom rack, uh, bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle, <clears throat> for the discerning connoisseur. I watch movies. I tend to watch different movies from what everybody else watches. Now, sure, I, that's not saying it's I'm anything special or nothing like that. I just I don't watch that many movies, but I like lower budget, fair, uh, independent film. I I just I like it. But there's a certain style that I like, and some of these styles are plainly visible, like science fiction stuff. I am a little kid at heart. And sometimes movies just come out of nowhere, just left field, and just blow me away. I just watched a movie that was like that. Never heard of this thing. I saw it at Walmart. It was part of a three-pack. That movie, Priest, with uh, (laughs) What's-His-Face. And then that movie, Legion, that still had the same What's-His-Face and it was kind of sort of the same movie it was almost like a prequel to priest but it was legion where they're in the cafe diner his name's bellamy bettany paul bettany that was him the cool like he was really cool all right well then the third movie in this thing was a movie called gabriel and i've never heard of this and anybody that knows me would know that like this is this is my jam this is my kind of flick is i'm real big in eschatology and religious studies and stuff i mean this is just this is my thing and i love that movie the prophecy i love that movie the prophecy i like legion i just i like these things so there's this movie called gabriel and i was like what what is this okay uh just to give you a brief rundown on it like real quick uh gabriel from 2007 action fantasy horror and the director was a guy named Shane Abess, or Abess, I don't know how he pronounces this story. His story is by Matt Hilton Todd, Shane Abbas, and get this, it stars Andy Whitfield. Um, now, most people be like, well, who the hell is Andy Whitfield? Hold on, I'll tell you, it's Spartacus, man, like, the dude, Andy, I don't know, he just, he's really cool. It was, Spartacus was one of those shows that I just, I fell in love with, like, me and my brother, it just... That show was so cool, and uh, just watching it, I really enjoyed it. it. Just there's a maybe there's some sentimental value to it. I won't even get into that. It was just I like Spartacus, Andy Whitfield. He was just he was a good actor. He was really cool. Dude's buff as shit. <laughs> like he apparently he looked like he could fight. He worked out a bit. Anyway, this movie is called Gabriel from 2007 and looking at Andy Whitfield's uh, timeline if I can ramble for just a second I'm not sure when he was alright so this came out before Spartacus so Spartacus was 2010 yeah alright so this came out this was released in 2007 and this was his first like this is his first major role it was also his first starring role uh, because before that he was just in a show called All Saints and I have no clue. But so this movie he was a starring role. This film was Australia. Yeah, it was filmed in Australia, if I'm thinking right. It was filmed in Australia, but I, I know this. Yes, Australia. I do know this. It was like an indie flick. Like apparently this movie was made for a hundred thousand dollars, I think, or something like that. Microscopic budget. If you watch this movie, You'd say, like, it's like, bull hell. No way. This movie was not done with that low amount of money. And it was. It set up the story. Trying to think. 
I don't want to spoil this at all. Like, I do not want to spoil this. This I'll go ahead and tell you, this movie was badass, and you need to watch it. So here we are, four minutes and six seconds into it, and I'm just telling you, it is badass. Go ahead and watch it. It's really cool. If you need to hear further explanations or whatever, my rambling about it and glowing review of it, I'll do it. But yes, this is a bottom shelf movie. This is a... Oh, wow, I didn't mean to hit that. This is one of those movies... This is why I do this, is to find flicks like this that just went totally, almost criminally unnoticed that they didn't watch this film. It ain't perfect. It doesn't have to be. It is so cool. Give you the synopsis according to IMDb. Gabriel tells the story of an arc. You know what? I'm actually going to put in like some choiry priesty church music or something the, the this stuff that I'm, anybody who knows me knows that I like to do so hold on <clears throat> cast my venerations <laughs> holy water and let me bless myself through the rosary all right rosary in hand gabriel tells the story of an archangel who fights to bring light back to purgatory a place where darkness rules and save the souls of the city's inhabitants. Yeah, this movie was cool as hell. Mix, let's, all right, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm getting a vibe like The Crow. Like, seriously, only there's no The Crow to it. It is certainly not as sad. Well, actually, it kind of is, but it's not just, like, coated and so bleak and miserable. Just, ugh. I like The Crow. It's just different, but you'll get that feeling from this. It also feels like the prophecy. It just, cover art, the trailer page, all right, so you got Andy Whitfield standing on a rooftop, because that's what heroes are wont to do in the rain, standing on a rooftop, which you got a little glimmer of the rays of sun shining down. He's on the rooftop with a cape and a hood, and he's got a silenced 9mm, like Boondock Saint style silenced, and He's staring down over a cityscape, and it says, far from grace. And it's raining. And, of course, it's effective, okay? Like, seriously, that's all it needs to say. I'm intrigued right from the get-go. So the story is that the souls are trapped in purgatory. And angels have been battling over those souls in purgatory. Purgatory is like a gigantic city, but it's not done like in a dark fantasy style city like Elantris for Brandon Sanderson well that wasn't really purgatory but you know what I mean it's not like this endless dark fantasy city or anything or like dark souls like Lordran it's like a modern city but it's it feels like something you get in the mid 90s or like the early 2000s and it's always dark and it's always raining it's really gloomy and you just, the whole time, that's, I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry about this. So anyway, the angels have come down. I forget it was like six angels or whatever have come down to purgatory to fight the six or seven angels from hell, as they call them, the fallen. And no one knows what's happened to them. And so Gabriel is the last one who has to go down to purgatory to try to find out what happened to try to stop them. And so he quote unquote falls he doesn't spiritually fall he just goes to purgatory to find out and he just spends the movie finding out what happened to michael 
And in this, you get flashbacks of like the time before the fall with them talking to each other. Like you've got when Gabriel falls into the city, if he uses his angelic powers, he is, I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. It sets up like a video game. He falls to purgatory and he's, he's on You never see it, but he's got like a reserve of power, his angelic power, which gives him super speed and stuff like that. When he uses that, the other fallen are going to know where he is. They'll be able to pinpoint him like his location and stuff. So he finds this out early on and ends up having to fight Moloch, which is a really cool scene. Like a lot of blood fighting and stuff, stylized fighting, really cool stuff. Like really stylish the camera work the cinematography everything about this film is top notch the acting is badass the scene setup like the wardrobe badass it's like blade without all the hokey and without a smelling like hot topic it <laughs> i know maybe that was a little mean but it's true and and you don't have to worry about that hokey every five minutes it's just really refreshing the story was incredible and i'm not even going to get any more than that other than that he's trying to track down what happened to michael and i'll leave it at that it is so cool this the whole story is so freaking rad it also stars samantha noble uh for those of you who might not know john noble is denethor from lord of the rings he was also uh in that show fringe he's been like in a bunch of stuff but yeah he was denethor from lord of the rings uh yes this is a solid what like i was so i was like awestruck even now just trying to think without sounding like a blithering idiot how freaking awesome this movie was my only criticism with it like honestly other than the fact that you really can't find this is no blu-ray there's no high def um you need this on dvd and good luck getting good quality i mean it is not to be a snob about it but anyway get this dvd you can find it in a three pack at walmart or 7.99 on amazon buy this thing anyway my only complaint is this movie is like an hour and 54 minutes. I feel like if they would have shaved off 20 minutes to help with the pacing, we would still be talking about this movie. It is criminal. Like, seriously, it's just it's heartbreaking to think that this film has gone unnoticed. It's an Aussie independent film with an incredible story. The fight sequences and the choreography, like there are certain stylish things that the camera work that they did with it that I have never seen. Like, really cool. And they probably did it to, you know, necessity is the mother of innovation. Probably things that they did just because they didn't have the money. But even then, it never... I have seen bigger budget films with far shittier special effects. Like, this movie is completely worth your two hours. Like, I'm telling you. If, again, from what I... If what I've described, if what I've said interests you in the slightest, you need to... You should watch this film. It is that good. Oh, and does the movie give you... Does the... What the cover tells you, the cover gives you a promise. Does that poster deliver... Does the movie deliver on the promise that the poster makes? Absolutely, it does. The poster's kind of vague (laughs) and ambiguous anyway, so it's kind of easy. It's like, that's a no-brainer. Seriously, it does. The dude's got 9mm silenced pistols and uses them. And it's no hokey... All right, because I'll admit, like my big criticism with Equilibrium with Christian Bale, as badass as that movie was, like he only does anything in the first five minutes of the movie and then like the last five minutes of the movie. And the whole middle of the movie is a whole lot of nothing. 
And this movie is not really like that. It has certain fight sequences interspersed throughout it, and it's also got tension and drama, too. So unlike Equilibrium, I would probably enjoy watching this movie several times. It's really that good. Andy Whitfield, God rest your soul, man. It, this is just, wow. I just I am stunned. It was such a good movie. The special effects are cool. The story was great. It just really, it's The Crow meets The Prophecy, yeah, the crow meets the prophecy. Like that's about the best I can honestly think, with some elements thrown in here and there too, for good measure. But yeah, seriously, Gabriel came out in 2007. Again, the movie is Gabriel, and you need to watch it. And I'm Daniel, and we have just talked about my bottom rack. So, <laughs> I'm working on these catchphrases, man. Y'all don't be too hard on me anyway. Uh, y'all take care. I will holler at you later. folks we're at the end here uh this is the portion of the show where my guests shamelessly show the fuck out of you so evan as i always ask i gotta ask is there anything you want to promote is there anything parting words you want to say to the astro zombies out there okay you can follow (laughs) uh, for no reason you can follow me at edg4 and twitter sometimes i like some stuff (laughs) <laughs> Twitter handle, which is like, yeah, it's a, it's a oh my god, that's the best plug I've heard in a while. Sometimes I like stuff. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Vaughn, chill your ass off. Okay, uh, podcastmaniafun.com is a podcast I do. Uh, was supposed to be actually recorded tonight, but somebody bailed out, and because of this show, occasionally I have to cancel and reschedule this show because of that show. Um, a cult horror podcast. Uh, with a bunch of people that I've known for years. Um, also, my own podcast, uh, motionpicturemaster.wordpress.com, which is a genre film podcast. Um, uh, I don't, I, I, you know, everybody's a cold film, horror film podcast. So I like right. using the word genre film because it's fun because it's every goddamn genre, even though really genre film is just Westerns, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you want to listen to that, you want to listen to me talk by myself um, and have coherent conversations with myself it's a great time check it out uh, besides that uh nothing else really i'm on twitter but i don't really check that it's just a kind of a farm for the stupid feed for when they when i put a podcast up i twitter's a horrible place sorry evan it's, no, the, it it's the worst place it's terrible it's a yeah it is a hellscape. That is a good way to put it. It is a very good way to put it. And and listeners, please go check out Vaughn's podcast, Motion Picture Massacre. I love the podcast because, as you said, it's basically you watch anything on it. Yeah. And it's it's good to hear not just, you know, as you said, there's I mean, here we're talking on a show that's basically focused on exploitation, cult film and horror film. There's a million of these fucking things out yes. there. Are we bringing any different perspective to anything? Really? I mean, if you, you're liking the personality, you're actually covering a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You do old comedies. You do westerns. Mm. You do some of the gore stuff. You I do. Found, I found great movies through that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Transfiguration. That was a great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So, so go yeah. not only check out his podcast. Go give him one star reviews on iTunes. Yeah, 
Please. Because it feeds him. It feeds his soul. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's it, folks. Another episode of Astro Radio Z. Thanks for sticking around and, and waiting for us. I, I hope you guys are digging these episodes. We're, there's going to actually be another episode coming up fairly soon. I'm going to go hang out with my bud Eric and watch some more shot on video craziness. Uh, so check out that's going to be coming up as episode 131. And then after that, we'll get right back to the Andy Milligan nonsense with the body beneath and blood. Two movies I actually like. Thanks for listening, folks, and uh, I'll catch you next time. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. You want to hear more than just the regular show? Go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks and get not only bonus episodes of Astro Radio Z, but other podcasts like All the Gimmicks and the podcast at Orgy Castle, all for the low price of $1 a month. Coming for me, Derek Carey, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time, Astro Zombies. Thank you.
Thank you.